welcome back to the podcast. You are listening to Let It Out, hosted by me, Katie Delbout. And every week I talk to people I think are creative, inspiring, interesting, and I have these really long-form, meandering, sometimes deep, sometimes very light conversations where we talk about everything that I'm interested in. And this week I have Ruby Warrington, the founder of The Numinous, writer, journalist, and one of my favorite new people that I've met since being in New York. This is maybe one of my favorite conversations I've had. I want every conversation on the podcast to feel like this one did. I recorded it in person at her apartment in Williamsburg a couple weeks ago, and it just flowed. It was exactly how I want these conversations to continue to be. We talk about anxiety and stress relief. We talk about moon sign astrology, her journalism career, food and body image, New York, love, feminism, spiritual activism, creativity, writing, her amazing oatmeal breakfast that she makes for her husband and herself, and so many more things. I love Ruby. I love this conversation. It's quite a long one, so I'm going to keep the intro as short as possible. But first, I just want to talk about the sponsors, and I want to thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much to everyone who came to my event last week at the end. It was so fun, and it was so great to meet people, and I can't wait for everyone who wasn't there to be able to hear that episode, which will come out in a couple weeks. And before we get into this week's episode, I want to talk a bit about last week's episode. If you haven't heard my episode from last week, if you're listening to this the week it came out, but I interviewed my friend and mentor and someone I've had on the podcast several times, Isabel Fox and Duke, again on the podcast. She hadn't been on for a couple years and we had a really long conversation that I think is really important and timely and deep. We talked about body image and food and emotional eating and our relationships to ourselves and surrender and control. And I think that this conversation is something that is really close to me and I think is something that every single person in the world can benefit from. So share it with a friend if you listened and you found it beneficial. And if you haven't listened, I highly suggest going back to listen to that podcast. Even if you've heard me talk to Isabel before, even if you feel like you're in a good place with body image and food, I think it's always good to have a bit of a tune-up. And like I said in the intro to that episode, it's maybe not the most fun conversation. It's maybe not the conversation you want to listen to and eavesdrop on, but I think it's really a needed one. So give that one a listen, and if any of it resonated with you at all, check out Isabel's free video training series about emotional eating and our relationship to body image and food and diet culture. It's really important. I did her master class, which comes after the free video training series. If you want to do that, you can. And if you do, sign up through my link. It lets her know that I sent you. And like I said, it's something that I did in 2014 and completely shifted the way that I saw myself, my body, my relationship to food, and really helped me heal all of those things. And I wouldn't say that if it wasn't true. So please check that out if it's something that resonates with you. If you have any questions about it at all, email me. I'll give my personal email. It's just 
katie at katiedevlet.com. Shoot me an email or ask in the Facebook group. I'll get back to everyone and let me know if you have any questions on Isabel, the free video training series, the masterclass, anything. I'm here to help. Okay, that brings us to our next sponsor of this podcast today, Freshbooks.com. It's the online cloud accounting software that I love the most. It's the best, you guys. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know FreshBooks, you love FreshBooks. It is the easy-to-use online cloud accounting software, which will help you stay on top of your business, your finances. If you have a small business, it's the best. It's a great way to send invoices and look professional. You can even change the colors and your logo. And if you just if you don't have a business and you just want to stay on top of your finances before tax season, you can use FreshBooks for that too. It's great. I love it. You can get a 30-day unrestricted free trial by going to freshbooks.com and entering the code let it out in the how did you hear about us section. So that's freshbooks.com slash let it out and enter let it out in the how did you hear about us section. Again, the link to FreshBooks is in the show notes. I love FreshBooks. Thank you so much FreshBooks for being a sponsor and thank you so much for listening. Enjoy this conversation with Ruby. I really know that you will. She's so genuine. She's so wise. She's so fun. She has an amazing British accent. And make sure you check out her book too. I've really been loving it. And I just want more of her. So I think her book and the Numinous are a great way to do that. As well as if you're in New York, she has a ton of events and cool happenings around the city, which I'll definitely be going to. So maybe we should go to together. So stick around at the end of the episode. I'll tell you the emoji for this week and I'll talk to you then. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm thrilled. I love doing podcasts. Good. Well, you're so <laughs> articulate and I, I just know we have so much in common and Very I'm cool. so excited to finally be able to like deeply connect with you. Maybe I'll leave this on actually. Someone just made me this oh, mug and I'm loving it so much. Yeah, it's really pretty. It's like got all this, we did a whole like design session where we chose, well, I told her what I needed it for and she yeah. chose all the stones and stuff. And it's weird. When I first opened it, I was like, oh, it's not really my style, but I just can't not wear it. Yeah, it looks really good with your outfit right Isn't now. it? Yeah. But it was perfect with the outfit that I was wearing when she gave it to me. I'm just like, cool. it's kind of really perfect, even though yeah. it's not like what I would have picked up. I really love it, so I think yeah. I'm just going to leave it on. I was yeah. wondering, I don't want to I don't want to be doing that. Oh, it's okay. Well, if, if people hear that, it's uh, Ruby's very cool mala hitting okay, the table. Great. No problem. <laughs> so, how has your summer been since I saw you last? So, tell everyone how we met. We were both speaking at Wonderlust. So, we were both speaking at Wonderlust up in Vermont. Um, just after the solstice weekend, I think, yes. isn't it? The summer solstice. Yes. And we were introduced by the lovely Jessica Manan. Which is how I meet everyone. Oh, she's introduced me to so many cool people. I was just texting her and told her I was coming here and she was like, you're going to love Ruby. And she's great. I met her because I was interviewing her for a magazine in the UK um, about her book when it came out. Um, and... But all the way through, in typical Jess style, she's like, but I want to hear about you. I want to ask yeah. about you. Like, she's so generous, mm-hmm. you know? And she's like, you have a book coming out, and I want to, like, definitely have you on my podcast when that comes yeah. out. And I'm like, wow. And it's so rare in my journalism career, whenever I do interviews, it's usually the person's, like, taking the opportunity to be, like, yeah. all about me. And it was so nice to be in an interview where it felt so much like an exchange. Yeah. And maybe that's because she has her podcast. She's kind of... 
I don't know. It's just I, it's her personality, and she's just a great human, a being. great human. Yeah, being. we could literally do the just. And you're listening to the Jessica Murnan hour, and we yeah. just talk about just how talk great she is. Yeah, so that that's could how be we a met, and I believe we were eating gluten free vegan pizza. We were. Yep. Wishing there were more snacks after that. Yeah, I believe. <laughs> I think we were a little disappointed considering it was a yoga festival. Yeah, the lack of kind of like veganism going on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, and yeah, it was it was a kind of it was a really interesting festival or moment for me. It was a bit of a full circle. The last time I had been there, up at Wanderlust Vermont, I'd actually it was the first time I'd ever done any kind of numinous presents events, mm-hmm. and I wasn't even hosting them myself. I brought like a couple of practitioners, like a psychic medium, up who was going to do something about yoga and intuition. I was just introducing them. But I was so nervous, like could barely sleep for weeks beforehand, just thinking about what I was going to say to even introduce yeah. these people. And at this one, three years later, I was doing two talks in the speakeasy yeah. with like whatever 80 odd people, I guess, um, talking about my book. And I had not even, like not even butterflies. And it was uh, such a like, yeah. a moment of just a real, yeah. um, sort of like a, a, a real moment of like, wow, this is, I've really come Oh, I've really, I really have. The challenges of the past few years really have resulted in this yeah. kind of resilience and this, this strength and this capacity I have to kind of take on more and push myself. Yeah. You know, and it was really, yeah, it was great. It's really cool to see those moments of how far you've come yeah, as a human being. Exactly, and, and just, just yeah, because you don't, you're with yourself every day, so it's like we don't really. It's like having a kid around all the time, or it's not seeing them for five years, and then they spring into being a older human it's kind of fun to see that in yourself those like periods of growth mm-hmm, exactly and to have that yeah just to see to see that all of the challenges of the past three years because it has been probably the most challenging three years of my life yeah. have really been paying off and to be able to appreciate that yeah you know? yeah so I think I want to hear about those last three years and, and why they were so challenging and beneficial and paid off mm-hmm. but I think I first discovered you in mm-hmm. Luminous because mm-hmm. of my mentor Gabby Bernstein ah. and she you did something about her style right an yes. interview with her about her style maybe <laughs> was that that was at least three that years was, ago yes that was literally one of the first articles on the Numinous. okay that's what I Literally thought. Literally one of the so first. So I've been a reader since the so beginning. So prior to that it was September 2013 that summer, I'd been kind of playing around with mm-hmm. the WordPress, like the word, very basic WordPress platform, just putting a few blogs out. Just They were really kind of like just weird, funny, experimental things. I was just testing the waters, I suppose, and just seeing what it felt like to publish online. I'd had a career in print journalism up until that point, yeah. and it was, it was so alien to me. Um, but then I had that summer, I had a designer come on and build out a different... WordPress, like kind of theme, theme, like build customer, customize mm-hmm. a theme for me. And I was like, right, I'm going to give myself an actual launch date and I'm going to line up some really proper stories for that yeah. date. And one of them was the story with Gabby. And it was about, I mean, you know, very much in the theme of what the numinous is it was about. It's kind of like how I was talking about how she'd sort of transitioned from consuming lots of like fast throwaway fashion into yeah. her clothing being more of an expression of herself and, yeah, it was one of my favorite because I'd read everything that Gabby had mm. done and it was one of my favorite interviews with her ever because 
her style was something I really admired about right. her, and she never had the opportunity to talk about it in interviews <laughs> right. because it wasn't the main focus of her work. Mm. But I think it is such a huge focus of why people are attracted to her work at first, at least, because mm. the, you know the vessel that they're getting this really high Definitely. level spiritual information is someone that they can look to and relate to and admire, and yes. that was the case for me. So it was really lovely to hear about that and what her like style journey was so yes it was it got me hooked on the numinous and again it comes back to one of the core kind of like founding principles of the numinous and the message in my book also is the idea that you don't you don't have to separate exactly. the external from what's going on in your yeah. inner spiritual life that actually it's all a part of being human yes. and it's all equally valid in our lives I the so problem much. a lot of the time being that we place far too much um, importance and too much value on all of the external yeah. at the at the um, you know at the demise yeah. on the demise at the <laughs> you know what I mean I know exactly <laughs> well, to the detriment of the it's interesting too and I would love your thoughts on this being into everything spiritual I've gone sometimes if it's a spectrum really far in the opposite direction where you know I have some friends who are so high off the ground that they're it's difficult for me to relate there too you know it's like we have to live in this world and we have to Nicole said this really great last night mm. when I was interviewing her of like feet just hovering off the ground like mm. still grounded but we're a little bit hovering off the ground just and I think, slightly elevated mm, and I think that's really the place to be because sometimes you know if it's if it's too far it's like well I still want to enjoy my life and the Maybe they're more egoic pleasures of my life, but it's okay to, you know, we're, we're in these physical bodies only for a little while, and it's fine to indulge in some of those things sometimes. And, like, we have to work in this world and make money and do things, so if we can do that, and that you blend the practical and the spiritual so well in your work. Mm. And the fun, mm. you know? Like, mm. we have so few sensory pleasures in this world, so to deny all of them for the sake of enlightenment doesn't seem like something I want to do. <laughs> exactly. And I also feel like, you know, there are lots of people who would say that they're awakening to a sort of spiritual path or a more spiritual mindset and wanting to do work in that space. And a lot, I've been having a lot of conversations recently about how, well, let's actually think about how lots of the more materialistic systems that are in place that do kind of like run our lives and that we have to interact with as right. human beings on right. a daily basis. How about we bring some of this spirituality into those those kind of like materialistic capitalist yes. sort of systems yeah. and actually bring about some kind of like shifts from within those systems yeah. rather than feeling like we you know we want to escape it all and transcend it all yeah. and like you know it's like no our, our work our work as humans yeah. is still here in the earthly plane and actually the more we can bring a sense of spirituality whatever that means to us to me, it means just feeling connected, truly connected to myself, yeah. my creativity, my inspiration, and truly connected to my fellow beings. Yes. <laughs> the more we can bring that into regular old, regular life, our nine to fives, yeah. the better, you know? That's yes. where balance really lies. And I think that's where progress can really be made in terms of you know, our societies and how we all live and operate together. Yeah, and I think what you said there, connection, is mm. I think the biggest thing because I found too, you know, I've been all over the spectrum with spirituality and all over, much like with wellness and food and there's, there's so much and I think sometimes to just 
take a step back and focus on connection and putting that above everything else because I think that's when I truly feel most connected to you know my intuition god whatever you want to call it the universe whatever is when I'm connecting with someone else Mm. and I'm actually you know having a conversation and I'm present it's like connection and presence are Mm. the things that bring me closer and actually things that take me away are you know when I'm trying to be super perfect with my eating or my schedule or if I'm trying to be super perfect with my meditation or whatever it's Mm. it's actually like this is Mm -hmm. when I feel most myself most intuitive most connected is when like I'm playing off other people Mm -hmm. and definitely and I think authentic connection like I mean if, if I really hope that my work and my book helps um with anything, it's really help. I, I what I really want to be doing is helping people feel like it's okay and it's safe to just like one hundred percent fully be you, yeah. and that you will be accepted. Because the only way we can truly connect with others is when we're being our full self. Yeah. If we're holding something back or we're shy, not shy. Shy is fine, but if we're kind of like, you know, if we're ashamed of any part of ourselves or we're we're suppressing any part of ourselves that's, you know, needing to be expressed in some way, we're still not fully one hundred percent connected. So it's yeah. that kind of like really authentic, really like fully embodied self-expression that I think is so important yes. to help people find, you know? Yeah. We've been taught, particularly as women, that there are so many things about us that won't be accepted, that we're going to yeah. be judged in so many ways for, for parts of ourselves that are, I don't know, less pretty, less fragrant, less nice, all these things. They're mm. all still part of us, 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 you know? Yeah. And the more we can actually feel okay with with being all of those things, the more easily we'll be able to connect with other people. Yeah. I I usually ask this question at the end. It's mm. one of the questions I ask everyone, but it, it's coming to me right now. I My book is about journaling, and mm. that's what my talks at Wonder mm. are about. And so I always ask the guests if they've had a relationship with journaling. And as a writer, I'm really curious with you. But the reason why I wrote the book on that and, and why it was such a transformative tool for me was just because by being unfiltered and raw and real Mm. with myself Mm. I was able to be myself with myself and then therefore with other people which is what you're exactly what you're saying Mm. when you're vulnerable with other people they're going to meet you with that level of vulnerability and then that's like where connection comes and I think we're always kind of fearful of of judgment so exactly with that with you Mm. what's your relationship to writing as a way to kind of process or do you have a have you ever journaled or like is writing at all cathartic for you well I it's interesting I was just thinking about it just like yesterday or the day before it was really on my mind and um I had never really had a journaling practice I did the the artist's way like the morning pages I kind of got into that for a while while I was really trying to find my voice as a writer Mm -hmm. when I was in my in my journalism career but I knew that I wanted to express something more personal through my writing. So I started doing the morning pages. And I just found it, I think because I wrote for my job. Right. I wrote for my day job. It just felt like so much effort. Yeah. You know? I can see that. For sure. um, and so I just kind of, I, I was a bit like, oh, I don't really enjoy this. Um, and put it aside. And, it, and obviously writing for magazines, particularly in a more kind of like old school kind of print magazine journalism that I came up in. It's a very different writing style to blogging or writing online, which is much more immediate and much more personal. And 
so working on the numinous, I began to find a voice that was much more of an expression of me personally than I'd been able to have in my journalism career. And so mm-hmm. that became an outlet for that in a way. And I'm sure that many bloggers think about, or, you know, there's a, there's a crossover in terms of your journaling yeah. practice with what's being put out in per- very personal blogs. Although the numinous is still much more of a magazine but it was really only writing my book that I had that fully, that experience you're talking about, a full catharsis and yeah. full kind of, um, full self-acceptance through the writing process. And I think my writing my book really was that because I, I went at it with each chapter very much just like, I'm just going to put everything on the page and then with my editor, hone it back mm-hmm. and kind of like get it, get it into a structure. And so it all started to come out while I was writing my book, which was incredible. I mean, my God, the, the tears I cried writing the book. It's like, because I, I write first thing in the morning, and morning pages, I can see where that comes from. Like, yeah. it's definitely when the channel is the most, like, yeah. open and clear for me. So it would be like... You have the, I find I have the most willpower in the morning. Oh, yeah, I can keep going. For, I have the most focus. I can keep going mm-hmm. for the longest. I'm the most inspired. And so I would get up, be on my laptop by like 6.30 a.m., kind of like getting whatever I could out whilst in using that kind of morning energy. And just like in floods of tears by 7 a.m., just like, oh, it's all coming out. <laughs> the most cathartic part of that whole experience, and journals aren't necessarily, you know, written to be read. Right. They're written to be a personal practice. But giving my mum my first manuscript yeah. to read, like before it had been fully edited you know it had yeah. been we'd, we'd sort of like you know we got it into a good shape but um that was incredible having her witness the full me my full story was really something else and yeah how did you feel sending that on so scared I was so nervous how much did she know what the content was and where you were did she read the numinous yes but I think neither of my parents have ever been particularly kind of like interested in my career yeah. But I think that's, in a way, kind of been a blessing because I never had that pressure from my parents to, like, do this or do that. Right. Even though I sometimes felt like, you don't care about what I'm doing, you don't understand yeah. kind of thing. It was a yeah. double-edged sword in a way. So, no, I mean, she knew she knew roughly what I was doing, but I think she thought it was like, oh, it's just astrology and things like this. But you've read my book. I mean, her she's she was a real hippie and really into yeah. macrobiotic food in the 70s and has eaten organic since like the right. early 80s and all that kind of stuff. So she's kind of been a wellness pioneer in her own right. Like I never, she never gave me and my brother antibiotics when we were kids. I still to Very this day cool. have had antibiotics like twice in my life so or something. Lucky. I know, yeah. I know. I'm so thankful to her. Yeah. So she has always had a foot very much in this world. And I don't, but what I think with the manuscript, I don't think she realized how much of my personal story was in there Mm -hmm. because there was more in it we've stripped some out for the final product but what she what she what I was nervous about showing her um about her reading I she didn't know so I talk in the book about um my relationship with the Capricorn which was like my first kind of long-term relationship and it was a very traumatic time of my life I was smoking really heavy weed every day I was anorexic was a really difficult time. He was extremely controlling, very sexually domineering person. And I completely shut off from my mum during that time. And she didn't, I don't think, I think she knew it was a bad, she obviously knew it was a bad time for me, but I didn't share any of it with her. Yeah. And I think her reading that kind of content was very painful. And yeah. I, was, I was very ashamed. I thought she'd be so judgmental of me for taking drugs or like, 
having used alcohol to the point where I felt like I had a problem with alcohol, like these things I thought she'd be ashamed of me. And of course, her feedback was like, I'm so sad that I could, yeah. I feel so awful that I wasn't able to help you. Yeah. You know? And it was just, mm-hmm. it was beautiful to kind of, to let her, to, 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 to fully be able to say to her that it wasn't her fault, right. that these were my choices, there was nothing she could do. It just kind of opened up this whole com- really deep conversation yeah. for us, which had been probably, we'd probably been waiting to have that conversation or needing to have that conversation for 20 years or more, you know? Yeah, do you think it brought you closer? Oh my it's goodness, it's like our relationship is night and day. Wow. It's amazing. That's really And cool. again, such an incredible illustration for me of like the more vulnerable and open we can yeah. be with people, whether it's our family members, right. whether it's friends, like whatever it is, the, those those barriers to connection just come down. Yeah. I'd always thought that my mum and I didn't really communicate that well. We just kind of, but I've realized it's because I wasn't telling her what was right. going on. My book <laughs> and my podcast have kind of been that. For right. For my relationship with my family as well. Mm. And I think for people listening too, you know, you don't have to have a blog or a book to send. But I think we're kind of lucky that we did Mm. because maybe you wouldn't have, you know, sent your mom your journals. Exactly. Exactly. Or have realized, oh, it's actually really important for me to share this part of my life with my mom. So she knows who I am. So she fully can then give me what I need or like ask me what I might need you know so it has yes I think yes you don't have to obviously spend two years writing a book (laughs) to like have this experience but I think if you can be vulnerable and just open as much as you can yeah and for me it's really um it's meant I've seen the value in that and so I'm I'm consciously being more like that in all of my yeah. communications mm. you know That's in everything yeah. even in just kind of like work negotiations yeah. like just really being very upfront about what I need and yeah. kind of like where I'm coming from and yeah. just not yeah I mean it's that thing the fear of judgment just trying mm-hmm. as much as possible to to sh- move yeah, that take out off of the masks that we yeah wear. exactly something exactly. that I learned years ago from Gabby that has stuck with me is she talks about you know, if you're at work and you are smiling and you're like, everything is great, everything is great, but in your mind you're thinking, I hate you, I hate you, I hate mm-hmm. my boss, I hate my boss, mm-hmm. they will pick up on that. Even if you are an mm-hmm. amazing actor and mm-hmm. no one would see it from the outside, like people pick up your energy. Yeah. And I have found that to be so true. And yes. I just become very aware of like, if I'm putting on a good face, like people can tell. I think I'm really good at it, and I actually am really good at it, but people can read our energy, and you have to actually just, like, be what you're feeling, because people can tell if you're not. So then, my question to you is, if you have to be around these people, or you feel like you need to be because you're working with them, like, what do you then, like, do you turn up and you're just like, yeah... Yeah, <laughs> what else? You know what I think, what it, you know I what think mean? it's about like going to the root of the problem mm. of like I mean I'm mm. lucky that I don't have a lot of those interactions in my life on yeah. a day to day basis at least but I think it's about being like okay why does this make me feel uncomfortable yes. you, you maybe it's like I don't agree or connect with 90% of what you're all about but finding that 10% of you that's like okay well I do think I like your haircut you know let me compliment that like (laughs) there's there's a person in my life that I like I I have to be around that like I just don't really connect with that much and I'll find as much that I do connect with this person on and I'll try to focus on those things when we're together Mm -hmm. so at least what what, what I am focusing on is actually genuine Mm. and then Mm. 
the rest of it I try to like limit yes yeah yeah that's a good that's a good way to look at it so I read in your book going back to what we were talking about before I read in your book that your mom and dad were atheists and Mm. so you grew up without really a religion Mm. and then you kind of found spirituality through the lens of astrology to Mm. begin Mm. so what was that experience like and your parents you know sending your mom the book was that kind of a surprise to her I guess at that point she knew a bit about what you were doing oh yeah and when I you know they definitely when I talk so I was raised without any kind of like religious conversational context for the world like we didn't go to church my dad's very much an evolutionist like he was all about Darwin's theory of evolution and so when I describe them as atheists it's that they weren't, they didn't believe in, or weren't attached to, or affiliated with any kind of organized religion. But they're both deeply spiritual people. Okay. I would say now cool. they just wouldn't ever, they wouldn't ever talk about that part right. of their lives, or they wouldn't necessarily even say that they were spiritual people. But just the way that they live, the things they're interested in, like my dad's, my dad's super into being in nature and the way it makes you feel to climb to the top of mountain and then writing a poem about it. Mm. You know, to me, that's like a deeply spiritual yeah. connection to the is world. Is he a writer as well? He is. Okay. He actually, he, um, he's, an, he's trained as an architect, oh. but he kind of went that path because his father wanted him to. And he, he was kind of a frustrated writer. And then mm. he finally, in his mid-40s, like actually found Good his voice him. and began writing. So That's yes, inspiring in itself. yes, I know exactly, yeah. exactly. And my mum has um, she's worked in, she's worked in many different careers in the kind of healing arena, and she's oh, now okay. a psychotherapist. Yeah, cool. So for me, again, like psychotherapy is such a spiritually yeah. kind of like aligned path, yeah, because she's really interested in like our emotional life and how unconsciousness, like how we perceive ourselves in the world, you know. So they're both very spiritual people. There's just no, never been any kind of like organized religion for yeah. them to like sit with them. Um, in terms of the astrology thing, my dad's super skeptical, <laughs> and um, yeah, he's a Sagittarius and he's like loves to play devil's advocate. I love the way actually I'm like describing him as a Sagittarius to talk about how skeptical he is about astrology (laughs) but he's also very philosophical um and so he likes the conversation around it you know he wouldn't believe that our lives are in any way kind of like influenced by the planets yeah and yet like I said he has this really deep connection to kind of like nature and our place within it so anyway but I think that both of them like my mom when she finished re- reading the book was like oh, I've, you know she started seeing an energy healer and she bought some crystals oh, for her cool. nightstand oh. and <laughs> my dad actually has been you know so it's what's going on for Sagittarius this month things are feeling quite strange so they both kind of have they're opening up to the fact that this is my language this is my way of talking yeah. about literally like who are we in the world and how does our how do we interact with our environment and how do we use our life force energy like yeah. that's literally what spirituality is for me and so they've un- they can understand that something like astrology is my language for discussing yeah. that and talking about that cool yeah so you grew up with your parents and then did you have brothers and sisters so my parents they kind of they lived apart from when i was just 1 year old my mum is from the countryside, um, a little teeny tiny town on the east coast of England, and my dad's from London. 
And after she had me, she wanted to move back to the countryside because she wanted to raise me in na- closer to nature, cool. which was beautiful. And I'm so grateful that she did. Um, and then my brother came along about three and a half years later. So they, they would, my dad would come up every weekend. So they were together. They, they were together, but they lived apart. Oh, that's so Although, progressive and Yeah, it didn't really work out because then my dad started seeing other people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they officially separated when I was about nine. <laughs> and we actually moved back to London then. I think my mom was worried that once they'd actually officially divorced, um, that we wouldn't be so much in his life. So we moved back up to London um, and my dad has since remarried and I have a half brother okay. from that marriage also cool so are they are you close with your siblings are they I'm super close to my brother John who I have the same mother with sadly not um, geographically he lives in Berlin in Germany oh, wow. he actually moved there around the same time that I moved to New York in 2012 and he has um, a little boy now, Henry. Is that who's in the other kid pictures? Yes, that's Henry, my nephew, Aww. who doesn't look like a baby anymore at all. He's two and a half going on 12. Oh, He's wow. like so ridiculously grown up. Um, and my brother Felix, very unfortunately, is very severely handicapped. And mm. he, um, he has epilepsy and autism, um, but he, has, he suffers multiple seizures on a daily basis he's now 19 so he's actually just transitioned into a full-time residential care facility but it's been extremely traumatic for my dad and my stepmom having him and being his carer so I've unfortunately just never really been able to have a proper relationship with him right I think the physical distance over the past kind of like five six years has made that even harder as well but yeah so you grew up in London with your parents and you were, you know, you talk about this in the book, but you always knew you wanted to work in fashion. Mm. So let's kind of go all the way back and kind mm-hmm. of start your story from there. Mm. And I want to kind of hear what, what that was like, you know, growing up, what was your connection to fashion and when did you know you wanted to, to be a journalist? Mm. Well, I always loved dressing up as a kid mainly inspired by I think I used to really love old movies like old black and white movies and I thought Marilyn Monroe was kind of fabulous and I love Barbie of course <laughs> but I think before I even before I even before I even kind of like began to identify with all these like actual material girls dressing up was just always like my favorite game as it is for so many kids yeah, and again it's that 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 instinct or that impulse to be like well, what's this part of me about and how do I express that in the world and how do these how do these clothes make me feel it was really about how do these clothes make me feel and where can they transport me to and what kind of like inspirations and visions can I can I and what kind of like adventures can I have simply by putting on this outfit you know so I used to love clothes from that perspective um and then I guess when did I decide? I thought I always I thought maybe I wanted to work in a clothes shop or be a designer. But as I got kind of older and more towards like college age, the idea of being a fashion designer just started to feel really unrealistic. Because <laughs> I looked at that industry, I'm like, like one and one in one in a million actually makes it as a designer. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like it was so difficult. And I'd also done, I'd studied like um I did like a night school on dressmaking and I just found it really difficult. Like it's actually, I don't have an aptitude for making clothes. 
So I decided I was going to tr- try and be a fashion stylist and work for magazines. And I went to college to study fashion promotion at the London School of Fashion, which is affiliated mm-hmm. with St. Martin's in London. And they had a course on fashion promotion and styling was kind of an element of that component. Yeah. But so was magazine journalism. And my, so my twin love when I was a child was reading. And I used to just read endlessly, you know, everything I could get my hands on. Began probably with Sweet Valley High and like just everything, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, so I always loved reading and the storytelling. And I was really good at English at school. Like I could just put a sentence together really easily when other people couldn't. And it was like just a natural kind of talent, I suppose. But I hadn't really used it or thought about it in terms of my career but then journalism was part a component of this course that I went on to do styling and I actually found I really enjoyed it and of course because I enjoyed it so much I excelled in it like it was just what I was really good at and my um tutor my third year tutor actually was consulting for a magazine when I graduated and got me writing for the magazine like right away and it just kind of like it just went from there it just kind of yeah Oh, it just really kind of cool. came to me really easily. Yeah, so once you're out of college and you start working in, in journalism and fashion journalism, was that the time where you were with the Capricorn and you mentioned your eating no. disorder? So interestingly, I met the Capricorn when I was 16. So I was still at school, at high mm-hmm. school, and he was 22. Um, and it was I think it was the time where it was the period where the, the impact of... Like my parents' divorce was very amicable. Like, they were all super conscious and, you know, just really kind of aware of keeping it nice. Mm-hmm. How nice it was, like, underneath all of that, I'm not sure. But even to this day, like, it's always been very kind of civil, and, you know. So the impact of it hadn't really been that evident. But I think coming into my middle teens, I was just kind of... There were lots of emotions coming up about it, yeah. and I wasn't really even aware of how to deal with that. Right. And so I think when the Capricorn like swept into my life, this kind of very controlling, older guy who just wanted to sweep me off my feet and kind of like almost kidnap me. It was weird. It was, it was very strange. Um, how did you guys meet? We met in Amsterdam. I, some friends of our, some me and sort of like four of my girlfriends, when we... So we have two sets of exams in UK in high school. One set you do at 16, mm-hmm. which is they call GCSEs. And then you do your final two years of high school. And then you have another set of exams called A-levels. And then you go to college. Okay. So I just done my GCSEs. And we just got our results. And they did really well. And like me and four girlfriends managed to persuade our parents to let us go to Amsterdam for the weekend. Or like, for, it was longer than that. It was probably like a week. For a vacation to just kind of like celebrate, I guess. Yes. <laughs> and um, God, I can't believe how young we were. Like looking back, just how young we were and how. Anyway, so it was on the last day that we were there. He was he was visiting Amsterdam, and we were in a like in a Rizla store, like buying some kind of rolling papers, the novelty things. And he just came in and was this kind of. He was really larger than life, very gregarious, very kind of like cocksure dude. Mm-hmm. And he obviously just liked the look of me and he just wouldn't leave me alone. Like he just, he took us all out for drinks after that. And then for some reason or other, I like ended up giving him my number just because I was 16. I hadn't yeah. really had any kind of relationship. He was this older guy who was interested in me. It's actually super flattering when you're yeah, that age. You just course. kind of want to be, I wanted to be noticed. Yeah. And um, 
before I even got home, he'd left a message on my voice, my aunt mum's answer phone, and she was like, who is this person? I'm not, I'm not sure I like this guy. Because <laughs> he was so kind of like domineering. Yeah. I've, I've described him this way to other people. Have you seen the film um, Spring Breakers? Okay. Watch that film. James Franco's character in that film. Okay. We'll give you a visual for the All Capricorn. Right. All right. Does he look like James Franco? Kinda. I mean, James Franco in the film has like, beaded dreadlocks he doesn't have he didn't have that but he did have long hair that he'd wear in like this Jesus ponytail and he smoked like the most ridiculously strong like skunk weed from the minute he got up in the morning oh my god yeah it was like really he he had proper full on kind of like gangster um kind of what's the word Delusions. Yeah. He'd sleep with a baseball bat under his bed. Like, it was oh, really nice. intense. He drove around in a second-hand BMW. I mean, the okay. whole deal. We're getting, we're painting the picture. Painting the picture. Like a true journalist here. So I had a real kind of, I was, in a way, like, I didn't even, I didn't even really think he was that cute or anything. It was just like, he was so overpowering and overbearing. Yeah. Anyhow... I think yeah, there was there was unrest in my emotional life, and it was it was a vulnerable moment in my life. Um, and he just kind of like swept in. I started smoking really heavy weed every day, um, and I think through smoking weed, a lot of weed, I was eating a lot more ice cream. I did gain a little bit of weight. And he would say things like he would notice it, and he would say things like, <sighs> "You don't need to lose weight. You just need to maybe tone up a bit." That kind of thing. And. My mother and my, my mother in law. I was sixteen. I was just I was just yeah. becoming just get becoming a woman, you know. So I stopped eating sugar, and I noticed after a couple of weeks that I dropped a few pounds, and it felt so good. Right, it felt and so good. And then it got to Christmas, and I kind of like I was like, maybe if I stop a few more, maybe if I don't have any bread, maybe right. that will, maybe more. And then it got. To, I remember at that Christmas. Um, I had these like suede like short shorts that I was wearing and my stepmother's sister I remember her kind of really complimenting me and going you look really great like and I was and it was just looking back it's like the the little hooks were going in and I was like oh yeah yeah, this is what makes me feel (sighs) that's such a visual that's exactly what it's like powerful and cool and in control of course and it just kind of like snowballed from there and I mean, I never got to a point where I was hospitalized, but I think in a way, it's my parents, neither of them ever spoke to me about it. They were, I, I remember my dad coming into my bedroom once and he was just like, had his head in his hands. It was almost like he was going to cry and he was just like, you, you're, you're obviously unhappy, just let me know how I can help you. Mm-hmm. But neither of them ever directly said to me, yeah. this is a problem, we need to do something about it. Yeah. But I think partly I think from so on my mum's part, I think it's because pretty much... I, when I was 18, I left home and I moved in with the ex. And then they were just out of my life. Like, they were yeah. just out of my life. I didn't really have much contact with mm. them because I was just so in his world. So you were totally in your eating disorder at that point? Yeah, I'd say it was kind of like... It was hardcore, I guess, from sort of 16, 17 through to about 20, uh, I guess. It's a long time. So when did you, we talk about this a, a ton on the, the podcast, mm-hmm. again, usually at the, in like act two, but this is <laughs> yeah. a very jumbled, sure. um, tangential journey. So we always talk about this because a lot of people who listen to the podcast are recovering from eating mm-hmm. disorder, recover because of my story. Mm-hmm. So 
when did you have the awareness and want to change? If your parents didn't bring it up to you. I always... It's funny. I remember there was a book. I, we read a book at school, at, in high school, mm-hmm. um, called... I think it's called The Best Little Girl in the World or something. And it was a story of an anorexic. And it was the first time I'd heard about anorexia. Like a cautionary tale. To... Well, it was like a... It was a, Yeah, but it was, it was written as a novel. It was like a novel, yeah. but it was about this girl who stopped eating and whatever. And I remember reading it and talking to my mum about it and going, oh, God, mum, this could never be me. I just love food too yeah. much. Because I really do love food. Food, like I'm a real foodie yeah and so it wasn't like it was extremely hard for me I mean it is for everyone of course for anyone yeah. in that but I just really I knew it wasn't I think even in the very beginnings of it I knew it wasn't how it wasn't I didn't ever get off on it it wasn't ever something I was kind of like this is gonna this is good this is how I want to live you know you knew that something was wrong I knew that something was wrong but you were kind of denying it because you got validation you and got because, control because I really wanted my body to be a certain way right. and I do think and I will go on record saying this I do think that my passion for fashion fed that mm. because I so wanted to be the women I saw in the magazines right. and I do, People, you know, it's talked about a lot. Fashion is always defended. Fashion's not the cause. Fashion advertising isn't cause anorexia. Right. Hmm. Well, I don't know about... Of course it doesn't, it's not the cause. However, I think you cannot deny that having... There's a correlation. There's a correlation there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I do think that wanting to work in that world, wanting to be able to wear certain clothes, yeah. definitely kind of like played into it there wasn't so yes there wasn't no one ever reached out to me and was like let me help you with this I never had any counseling about it so I just kind of like walked the walk on my own and I think like I I was never hospitalized I never was like I was never I probably I remember like passing out in the bath one time and being a bit like okay this isn't good Mm. this isn't good (laughs) it scared you enough to like wake you up it scared me but um, I think more than anything, when I moved in, when I moved out of home mm-hmm. and I moved in with the Capricorn, I got, um, I got a full-time job working in a clothes store. And for the first time in my life, I was like earning my own money. I was supporting myself. And I think at that stage, I guess I was probably 18, 19. So it was those first two years that it was really the most hardcore, like literally an apple a day mm-hmm. hardcore. So once I was kind of like working full-time, I kind of got to a routine and I got my food down to a level where I was kind of like, plateau- I plateaued, I suppose. I was very underweight, but not to the point that anyone who'd look at me would be like, she's sick. Which is so hard. And I want to like just mention to everyone listening and, and just to you, like it's so challenging that we live in this world where, and I talk about this in the podcast all the time, that fat is bad and thin is good, and mm-hmm. it's, which is totally from the patriarchy and from our society mm-hmm. and our standards mm-hmm. of beauty because mm-hmm. standards of beauty have existed for years. Mm-hmm. But in other cultures, fat is considered beautiful because mm-hmm. it's a, as a status symbol because mm-hmm. it's difficult to attain. Mm-hmm. And at other times in history. And now, because of the fashion industry and because of the fitness industry, mm-hmm. what is difficult to attain and what costs money to attain, it's a class system, is thinness. Mm-hmm. So... We, you're living in a society where no one was worried about you yeah. and people were actually were complimenting envious. you. Exactly. And complimenting me. That was exactly the same to me. At like yeah. my scariest time, I was 
having people be worried about me and simultaneously having people say, oh, you're so tiny. You're, you're, and then every time, like, that visual of the hooks, like, yes. it's it's addictive. It's so addictive. It's, addic- it's an addiction. Yes. And it's so hard to let go of that. And to see that you did that largely on your own is just... Well, yeah, to get to what the... So I got to a point where I was like, I knew how to keep my body this size. And it was like, it probably would have been a size two. Say it's like a US size zero or two. Mm-hmm. And it felt... But it was still really, obviously, really difficult to, right. to maintain that. Um, and not, and I wasn't healthy at all, but I was kind of, like, steady. And then I went to university. I actually... So I'd been working in the clothing store for about a year and a half, and I was like, okay, no, I definitely do need more than this. <laughs> and I applied for this course, the styling course, and I went to college. And it was the same. Like, I was still was very much just, like, had a very, very controlled diet, but I was kind of, like functioning fine no one thought it was a problem whatever um and then I left the Capricorn managed to like it's a whole long story which I could tell you but I I managed to kind of like I found I guess I found um I found the support in some friendships at college Mm -hmm. and also I did like despite everything (laughs) eating disorder smoking really strong weed every day like all this stuff I graduated like top of my class and I was so surprised. I remember getting a phone call from, like, to tell me my grade. And I just, I honestly couldn't believe that this had happened. And I was just like, oh, oh. <laughs> and I think just that gave me the necessary confidence in myself yeah. to be like, no. Because I had like known for, like, universe, I had known like, the entire time I was living with the Capricorn, I felt like I was in a prison. I would lie in bed at night just like, how am I ever going to get out of this? And just unable to do anything. But I think getting the, comp- getting the validation from doing really well at school was kind of like, no, I have a life that's waiting to be lived and it's my responsibility yeah. to woman up and get out there and live it. And the way I did it, I went on vacation again. <laughs> it's so funny, actually. I went on another vacation with friends to celebrate graduation and ended up like you know, having a fling with this really hot guy that I met there. And it was almost like I had to have an affair so that he, that the, he would, the Capricorn would have no choice but to kind of like mm. kick me out. So I kind of like brought that about yeah. myself. Yeah. And then six months later, met the Pisces, who I'm still married Aww. to now. How did you guys meet? We met on a photo shoot. So I said that my, um, my, my tutor from college had got me um, writing for this magazine he was consulting on and then one of the features that I first did Simon and his business partner Simon, <laughs> the Pisces and his business partner um, were going to be featured in it and he came along in this photo shoot I was organising and we just started chatting and it was like it really was like I was a true believer in love at first sight mm. at least it wasn't when I say love at first sight I mean I'm a true believer that sometimes we meet people we just know are going to be in our life yeah forever yeah. And that's how I felt about him. Wow. And I've had that with some friends too, you know. And it's just, yeah. I just knew it about him. And we began dating and I moved in with him after six months. So you could say I'm a serial monogamist, but at the yeah. same time, I'm like, this guy was, there was no, there, it was just like such a... Yeah. But anyway, it really was, and I think our dating time, you know, he was in the nightlife and I, I never drank alcohol at all. Capricorn was like super anti-alcohol oh. and like... Uh, because it was all about control, right. right? The whole of that experience with him was so much about control. Yeah. And so Simon was a DJ in the nightlife, and so I would go out drinking with him, and I'd drink beer, and 
but previously it would have been like oh my god that's like 250 calories like right. no way but I was just like enjoying it so much yeah, my like, enjoyment and fun, fun yeah. like overrode it all we would go out for he, he we loved he loved restaurants because his parents were really into restaurants and he'd take me to all these really fancy restaurants and it was just I was just so swept up in yeah. the pleasure and the romance of being with him and Which is food, actually really healthy. food and drink were so interwoven yeah. with that and it was all so enjoyable every cell of my body and my being was just lit up by all these experiences mm, yeah. that it's almost like I wouldn't I would never go as far as to say that you know my disordered eating kind of disappeared overnight however it was a very dramatic yeah. shift to seeing alcohol seeing food as my enemy and something that must be controlled towards seeing food as something that was like deeply interwoven yeah. with this incredibly pleasurable experience yes. I was having of life yeah, and it goes back to that connection that we were talking about. It's yeah, important. Yeah, exactly. But it's things like, and obviously my eating had to do with it, but my, I was also on the birth control pill the whole time I was with the Capricorn, and my periods had always been like really kind of either non-existent or sketchy. Mm-hmm. But within like a few months of being with the Pisces, they were back, like full on back. And I was yeah. just like, it felt to... So I think actually meeting him falling in love, falling yeah. in love was what, was what cured it, yeah, basically, because I just realized that... That's how I wanted to feel all the time. Yeah. Mm. It's so good that you shared all that. That's actually really common with eating disorders that a lot of people that I've spoken with, Mm. it's been really common on the journey of healing, so to speak. I kind of hate that word, but Mm -hmm. it it works with this. They are in recovery. It's been something like that where they get into a relationship and they just want to fit in and they just want to like oh they're like well he's a foodie I'm gonna I guess I'm eating this now here we go you mm-hmm. know and that that's happened with me too mm-hmm. it's like if you want to live in this world if you want to date if you you know food yes it's nourishment yes it's fuel but it's also connection and it's yes, also love and, and it's pleasure. also pleasure and yes. all these worldly things and exactly to deny, to deny ourselves that we can do when we're on our own but mm-hmm. when it comes to another person we kind of like snap back into it mm. and I think that can be so healthy and great well I think as well it was something about you know seeing him fall in love with me helped me to kind of <clears throat> remember help me it was it almost helped me fall back in love with myself it was like my self-love kind of um expanded with the love that I was experiencing from him I mean honestly yeah. it was the most magical time of my mm. life and it's so funny it lasted like I'm still I'm still so in love with him oh. <laughs> honestly I know it sounds really cheesy no, it's amazing. but it's kind of amazing and I feel so much gratitude to yeah. have this to have met this person and to have had this experience oh. and because I do think you know my it's so magical when I think back though to I actually feel like the Capricorn time I burned through so much karma I feel like I actually burned through so much and learned so had so many harsh lessons to kind of overcome during that time that I actually feel like maybe I kind of got rid of a bunch of it quite yeah. early on. Um, so you're ready to... Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, in terms of the eating, I still, because of the world that we live in... Yeah. Where thin is so celebrated, I went to work in fashion, yeah. where being a size eight, in the UK it's an eight, like here it would be a two, I suppose, is highly praised. Right. My eating was still weird like it was still weird but then I don't think it was it wasn't it was never at the the level that it had been before 
And in fact, it was only as weird as every other woman in my office. Right. That's the thing. that it, And that's what scares me. And I'm actually working on a project with a couple of friends on this right now. Like, the normalization of eating disorders. Oh, yes. Under dieting or really scarily, which is more orthorexia, under healthy living. Yes. And you had a great... There's a great piece on the Numinous about this I saw today, which I'll put in the show notes, mm. but... Yeah, it's just that's what we could do a whole other topic on that. But I, yeah. I want to get back to your story. Yeah. So you're working in fashion, mm. and you've met the Pisces, mm-hmm. your husband mm. now. And what was that experience like for you? And then how did you shift into astrology? So I had a ma- I worked in magazines for like um, well, fifteen years or so before I moved here. And I guess I had got to, and I talk about this in the intro to the book, I kind of had worked my way yeah. up, you know, I'd done really well, um, and I found myself in um, my dream job as features editor at the Sunday Times Style magazine, which is, you know, comparable super prestigious, to comparable to T Magazine, but it's from like the a, New York Times. Imagine like a weekly T Magazine. Very cool. So it was very cool. <laughs> Tell us some of your favorite experiences there. Like, who's some of the favorite people you've interviewed? And oh gosh, there were so many. There have been so many. I mean, I mentioned some of them in the book. Yeah. But from but there, I I remember a real kind of like moment for me was I did Lady Gaga's first cover interview in the UK, and I had to really push for it because she was kind of this weird, edgy, like fringe New York nightclub singer. Uh-huh. And people had started paying attention to her because of her outfits. But I could, like... And this is an interesting point as well. I think one of the things that made me a good journalist, mm. a good features writer, and one of the reasons I, you know, aced it in college and right. whatever, I think that I've always been very naturally intuitive yeah. and very very willing to listen to my intuition. And in my career, I've been able to use that to spot trends and be like, this is the next big thing. This is the next cool person everyone's going to be talking about. You know, I've been able to use my psychic powers. Yeah, (laughs) I love that. And I think with Lady Gaga, I was like, as soon as I saw the first photograph, I was like, uh, next big thing. Cool. So I had to really pester my editor to allow me to do the interview. And she finally was like, yes, okay. And I went and did the interview and I'm like, oh my God, it's the next Madonna. This is like, literally, this is amazing. What and was she that was, interview like? Did she you was just so talk about like genuine, like authentic, like fully expressed yeah. kind of like this is who the hell I am. Like no apologies, cool. whatever. Yeah. It was in the UK. It was on a photo shoot, um, and I just sat with her for like two hours and just listened. And she was just so intelligent and articulate and such an artist and just like a real genuine. It was when the X Factor. I don't know if you had the X Factor here. Like imagine like the voice. Yeah was really popular in the UK and so all of pop music was about these very manufactured kind of bands and sounds Mm -hmm. and for me meeting her and interviewing her I was like oh it was so refreshing to be a pop someone who wanted to be a pop artist but who actually was coming to it from an artistic point of view and so that was an amazing interview and it was on the cover and it was the first like big interview I did and it went really well and so that was a that was a really cool moment. Yeah. So I, there was a lot I loved about that job. Um, however, it was extremely stressful, um, and essentially, I still wasn't expressing myself as a writer. And looking back, I know that's where you know eventually I just found myself really bored and really frustrated in the job, and just kind of like 
worn down by the monotony of kind of like having to like produce all this stuff on a weekly right. basis that then didn't really mean anything in the world and it was just kind of like Ugh. yeah <laughs> so I found myself a few years in kind of yeah just frustrated bored over it but really lost and a bit like well if I don't want to do this what do I want to do because this is all I ever really wanted to do this is yeah. like it uh-huh. yeah you talk in the book about how you're were trying to find enoughness yeah and you had already had all the accomplishments you thought you wanted and you thought you could have with your career yeah and you were like well now what do I do exactly like how is this not enough like I've got my dream job I'm married to my dream man I have like all these amazing freebies and perks and all the kind of like status stuff that comes with this kind of a job you know I I was like, every on paper, it's all there. Why am I feeling, why do I feel so empty and so unfulfilled? And before you tell us what you did, mm. there's something in the book that really stuck out to me. And you talked about this with our friend Jess on her podcast. But you said that, and you'll articulate this better than I can, but how you saw some people at that point where they're like, I have everything I want, but they're still kind of avoid filling that with, having kids at that point Mm. and you decided to go a different direction can you Mm. talk about how you had that awareness yeah well I mean I mean the 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 kids thing is a whole other story and a whole chapter in the book yeah but I had known from a very young age that I didn't want to have kids was that just an intuitive thing yeah and I I always I just it was more of a question it was more of like when I when other people other women would be really excited about starting a family or I just didn't nothing lit up in me and I was I just totally like relate to that. I just yeah really yeah that seems like kind of like a nightmare to me yeah <laughs> and, and I cover my face as I say that because I still feel such a, like so weird like there must be something so wrong with me yeah. to articulate that that doesn't appeal to me right because again we're so conditioned to yeah. believe as women that having children yes. and being a mother is the ultimate and fulfillment and what we're here to do what we're here to do status symbol almost yes Exactly. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong, you know. Yeah, and for some people, that's hundred percent. There's nothing wrong, and that's amazing. And yeah, like, we love babies as much as the next exactly. guy. Exactly. Just yeah. and I guess yes, I could see that. Um, some of the, I guess some other people were kind of like it was quite evident that the career was really just a means to an end to get to a point where you were going to have a family, and then you know they they'd live alongside each other, whatever. And I was just like, no, I'm a I'm a career I'm a creator yeah. in a different way. I have something I really want to... I have something I want to say to the world. Yeah, and birth something else. Yeah, and I remembered distinctly thinking how... I remembered, like, being in this magazine, like, writing some other feature about, I don't know, like, some celebrity or some fashion label and being like, this stuff is not even that good. I could do better stuff than this. Like, that, I've got stuff I want to put out into the world. I would love to be the one who's being written about. Yeah. <laughs> but for my for my creations and for what I'm putting out into yeah. the world, I'm just feeling quite frustrated, I suppose, by that. But not really knowing what to do about it because, again, I was so like, this is my dream job. Mm-hmm. Ah. And so I started really not being very... Not, not, not being nice to myself, but I definitely, at that point started really kind of using alcohol as a way to kind of fill I, I in the book I describe it as like bridge the isn't my life fabulous gap you know it was kind of like life looked pretty Crunch, fabulous yeah. over Friday night cocktails in some fancy bar in Mayfair yeah. you know it was like then life felt then it was like oh yeah this is oh yeah it's all panning out now you know yeah. I know my designer outfit I've got my Cosmo yeah speaking of sex in the city yeah. earlier it was like really that kind of weird fantasy world yeah. that alcohol kind of like 
veiled. Yeah, created for me. Um, but obviously the flip side of that was that then once it wore off, I was left feeling even emptier and yeah. and sadder and everything than before. Um, so this is where the astrology bit comes in because I was like, well, okay, if I've done everything I want to do in my career and that's going to be my job and I'm not going to have a family on the side then I've got space, actually, for something else that's kind of just a project that's just yeah, for me, just purely for me, a hobby, yeah. I think I never don't really use the word hobby. It seems like such a kind of, like, grandma word. Really? Hobby. <laughs> there needs to be a better word for a yeah, hobby. Do you know what I mean? There really does, yeah. It's not a very cool and word. And I don't like a passion project <laughs> no, either. I think yeah, that's kind of annoying. It's cheesy. Yeah. There needs to be something else. Yeah, we can... We'll have to think of what that is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I needed something or so to be I determined kind of, later. To be determined what later, exactly. And I and I almost immediately as soon as I kind of asked myself, well what could I just what could I study? If I was gonna go back to school to study something, or if I was gonna go to night school or whatever, what would it be? And it was like it's astrology, it's obviously astrology, because this is something I've been really interested in since I was a kid. I could read about it for hours. I'm yeah. just endlessly fascinated by this subject. Um, and so I began by introducing myself to our resident astrologer at the Sunday Times, um, just asking if she would mentor me or at least kind of, you know, just kind of teach me a little or, yeah. or hear me out even. And she did. And she was wonderful and warm and welcoming and very, she's an incredible woman, Shelley Von Strunkel, her name is. She's actually American, but she's been living in the UK for about 30 years now, I think. But she's traveled all over the world and studied every mystical tradition under the sun. And she lives in this giant loft that's like a literally a library wow. of every ancient kind of like mystical text. So cool. So I would go around there and she'd just like fill, just like talk for hours. I'd literally just sit there and listen. I feel she like that's, I'm having a very similar experience <laughs> in your very cool loft. And like just but she would talk you. for hours about, you know this guru and that teacher and this tradition and I was just like oh my god this is everything that has been missing from my life (laughs) anyhow so she was um so yeah she really started filling my head with all of this all of this new age stuff I suppose I was like well wow yeah this is what I'm really interested in oh my god it's almost like how could I have forgotten it really was that feeling of like this is everything I was fascinated by when I was a kid magic stories fairies like the unseen worlds psychic phenomenon our own mystical powers like wow yes obviously (laughs) and so um but I did very immediately sort of think hmm why isn't there a magazine that does this because I've been in magazines for so long so why isn't there a magazine that's covering all this stuff in a cool like modern beautiful way yeah and then I was like Oh, because I had to make that. Yeah. Oh, right. Very okay. Cool. And it really was like a penny drop moment. It happened yeah. very quickly. It was actually when Shelley used the word numinous in a conversation. Yeah. What does that word I was like, oh. mean? She described it as meaning that which is unknown or unknowable. Mm. But it actually has many descriptions that you can that you can read online. I use that one because it just has a nice ring to it. Yeah. Um, for me... The word numinous can be used as an adjective to describe anything that comes within the realm of human experience that we can't necessarily articulate mm. through words, that we can only sense the or feel. The esoteric, the mystical, 
numinous. But I think numinous, it actually is kind of almost bigger than that. It's like awe-inspiring. In fact, I describe it in my book as like, it kind of means awesome, but in a biblical sense. In a way cooler sounding (laughs) word. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So literally awe-inspiring, just like that feeling of awe of like, wow, when you when you have these fleeting moments of kind of sort of understanding the vast, infinite power and potential of the universe, that's numinous. Cool. So as soon as I heard the word numinous, I pretty much saw it on the cover of a magazine. I was like, this is going to be the next big... This is what everyone's missing. Yeah. This is what the world's missing. And, oh, goodness, maybe it's part of what I'm going to do next is bring this into the world in a way that is... You. Yeah. Yeah. In a way that makes, that means it's okay for everyone to say that into this. Yeah. Rather than it just be this fringe kind of hippie, woo-woo, strange thing. Yeah. This is for everyone and I want everyone to find, be able to feel they can connect to the numinous yeah. part, side of life. I want to get back to your story, but I want to take a pause and talk about astrology for a little mm. bit. And I wrote this quote down in my notes You were interviewed for British Vogue on the subject of astrology, Mm. and you said, The world is divided into scientists and mystics, those who mainly ask how and those who mainly ask why, right and left brain thinkers. I stand firmly in the latter camp because for me, without this kind of existential self-inquiry, life is meaningless. Mm. And I loved how you articulated (laughs) that. I thought it was so beautiful enough to write down and, and read. And... I want to know if you can expand on that and how you came to that realization. Was it around that time? That was... No, I think I had that... That was actually almost a direct quote from a conversation I had with my dad. Mm. Trying to kind of like explain to him why astrology made sense to me. Yeah. And why it was so important to me. And And him saying that it doesn't mean anything, it's meaningless. It's like, it doesn't... it's, It's, you know, you can't prove that it works and hey, I could read, I can read the horoscope for every sign and they all make sense. What does it matter that I'm a Sagittarius? Right. <laughs> I was trying to explain to him, you know, it doesn't, yeah. I, the logic doesn't matter to me. Yeah. That's like, no. All, it, for me, it's all about the inquiry. It's all about the, the meaning that we can attach to things, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah. And I, you know, my, both my mum and my editor picked up on that sentence and were like, but darling... That, not my editor, my mum said, but darling, <laughs> we do need the scientists. We do need the logical side too. Yeah. And I, and I concede absolutely to that. And for me, this living a numinous life or a high vibe life, it's really about balancing those two extremes. We live in an extremely logical, linear, masculine, yang society. And the mystical, which lives on the other side, the asking why, the emotional, the intuitive the feminine is is very suppressed has been suppressed mm-hmm. um and i think that we're living in a time where we need to, where we desperately need to bring that into balance yeah so that we're actually operating from a left and right plane right place you know yeah and we're wow. giving value and credence to the mystical the unknown the numinous as yeah. much as we do the linear logical scientific yeah so I don't know too much about astrology, mm. but I I love it and mm. I want to know more. And I, before we get back into the lens of your story and, and bringing it home to 
how you got to New York and bringing it up to the present. I, like I said, I want to stop and pause here. Why answer two things? Why mm. is astrology helpful? And what are a few things everyone should know about it? And obviously your book is amazing and such a great place to start. Mm. But I, and not even start, like a really deep dive into it actually in, mm. a, in a really easily accessible way, which I love and mm-hmm. get Ruby's book. <laughs> However, just right now for people listening, what is a good why and then what is a good entry point? So why is it useful? We've spoken already about how I think that real connection in the world comes from being as, most, as authentically ourselves, mm-hmm. our full selves as we can be. And for me, astrology is a way to understand my full self. It's just literally like a lens and a language for identifying, for for investigating who I am. That's how I see astrology, for investigating who I am and who everyone else around me is. Our birth chart is literally like a blueprint for our soul. Um, So I can look at my birth chart and yours and everyone else's, and from that I can see every different aspect of my personality in particular the parts that I don't want to see yeah (laughs) in particular the parts that have maybe been suppressed for some reason and I can see why and how they've been suppressed as well you know the more studied I become in this practice um so for me it's just it's a tool for self-analysis and self-awareness that just makes sense and also feels like fun yeah. Because it's this mystical language of symbols. It's not like reading reams and reams of textbooks. It's like and, a personality test. Mm, even. It's, it's kind of, it's very open to interpretation, which gives it so much room to breathe and grow and change and be influenced. And just like being a human has yeah. all of that, you yeah. know? <laughs> so yeah. that's what it's for. It's for understanding who we truly are. Yeah. Because only when we understand who we truly are, can we really know what we are here to bring to the world and what we need in order for us to be able to do it. Yeah. That's why. Cool. The things to know, the most important thing to know is that your sun sign, what you read your daily or weekly horoscope for, is just a teeny tiny part of your overall personality, of your chart. Exactly. I have mine pulled up right here. And actually, fabulous. I was reading your your book. We'll have to have a look. Okay. Um, And actually, I think, I actually... I love moon sign astrology, um, and I run something called Moon Club also, yeah. which is yeah, an online Moon Club's an online sort of spiritual community mentoring program that's um, that's all structured around the different phases of the moon. So we meet cool. weekly for full and new moon workshops, meditations, etc. We have a, a PDF workbook that people get with journaling exercises and different cool. exercises for each different moon phase. I'm really into moon sign astrology. Um, so our sun, as we know, I'm an Aries. I'm an Aries sun sign. What's your sun sign? Taurus. You're a Taurus sun sign. So you probably know some of the traits of Taurus. Um, that will, maybe some of it you relate to, maybe yeah. some of it not so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so our sun sign represents our kind of motivation in life, like okay. what gets us out of bed in the morning. Right. Like our inner spark, I suppose. Yeah. Our moon sign represents the conditions and the emotional support we need in order to be able to do that. So I'm really, really interested in the moon sign because for me it's kind of like, well, it's fine for me to fine for me to be this pioneering, yeah. passionate, you know, Aries, confident Aries, 
But I don't feel like that half the time. Right. But that's because my moon in Cancer, which is super emotionally sensitive, very shy, needs so much alone time and so much personal care and so many like really deep emotional connections yeah. with people for me to feel like being that Aries person out in the world and doing this my Aries so work in the world. Yeah. So mine is Leo for the moon. Oh, side. interesting. So what does that mean? Leo needs recognition creativity self-expression yeah. Yeah. all of these yeah. things <laughs> like smart. right okay so tell me i'm okay I'm interesting <laughs> right see me see me yeah. you need to be seen yep yep yeah <laughs> um and valued you know yeah so in it's it, i actually went to a moon sign workshop recently and i thought it's very interesting she's like in in western astrology there's very much focus on the sun sign, which echoes how Western society values what we produce and how we show up um, out in the world. In, in Eastern astrology, like, which is also known as Vedic astrology, uh-huh. there's much more emphasis on the moon sign, which is our emotional lives, like what we need, like our family life, our home life, where there's much more emphasis on home, family. It's much more of a matriarchal society right. a lot of the time. So, yeah, I think it's very interesting that um, a lot of people are getting more interested in moon sign astrology, and I think that's a reflection of the fact that there's a general awareness of just there needs to be more importance placed on our emotional life to balance out all of this kind of very active, like, productive, high-achieving kind of, like, external stuff. Yeah. So I think, so to go back to your initial question, know that your sun sign is just a small part of what you can discover about yourself in your birth chart and that actually each of the different planets or celestial bodies of which there are 11 or 12 um, in a chart will tell you a different will be a different piece of the puzzle cool oh astrology is so cool oh my god it's just so cool (laughs) okay so bring us up to the present so you are hanging out with this very cool woman shelly shelly she's you're hanging out you're learning about astrology Mm -hmm. you're finding that there's something missing and you're trying to fill that void at the time of alcohol and Mm. then is that at the point where the Pisces your husband ends up getting a job in New York City and Mm -hmm. you did the move kind of spawn the new life and you're gonna love this okay how that happened as well (laughs) or at least there was a little coincidental kind of like serendipitous thing so I'd had the idea for the numinous probably beginning of like early 2011 I would say but I'm in my dream job and it's a very right. full-on full-time job and all my yeah. weekends are spent drinking and partying so I don't have any time to actually really invest in making it happen it's yeah. just this idea I've got but I'm speaking to people about it I'm kind of doing some research about like could this be a cool thing to do I'm just never really gonna have the time and energy to do in it in London in London got it um and I come to New York to do an interview I think I think it was an interview with Claire Danes think cool. anyway I come over to do an interview I buy a copy of USL and this is probably in like August oh, or September that <laughs> year and who's in L but Gabby Bernstein so there's an interview with Gabby and I'm like interesting I bet her audience would like something like the Numinous yes. interesting and they sure did hi and um and so when I get back I show this to my editor I'm like this woman's seems kind of cool she's got a book coming out could I write a feature about like Gabby and about this kind of like new these new gurus because there are a few there's a couple there's a tarot reader I'd met in the UK who was also a lingerie designer and I'm like there's a bit of a 
this, this isn't just old grannies like with yeah. their tarot cards like in these kind of new face there's like the new thing so I wrote this piece interviewed Gabby like on the phone because Spirit Junkie had just come out and um, did an interview with her on the phone the, it was due to come out in October the Friday Friday Simon my, jo- my husband the Pisces had found out he got this job in New York with his he was working for W Hotels at the time and we're like, oh my God, we're moving to New York. I email someone else I know, a jewelry designer called Jules Kim, who I'd met that year. I was like, oh my God, Jules, I'm moving to New York. I'm just kind of emailing everyone I know in New York. I'm so excited. She yeah. goes, oh no, so it must have been, so the Friday he found out, the Sunday, the interview with Gabby came out. The following week, I emailed Jules and she's like, oh, I've got to introduce you to my friend Gabby. You guys are going to have so much in common. And I'm just like, that's funny because I just interviewed her and it just came out in the magazine. And so Gabby was actually one of the first people I hung out with when yeah. I moved to New York. Because mm-hmm. then I emailed her and I'm like, hey, we just did this interview, but it turns out I'm moving to New York. Yeah. Oh, so <laughs> I know. Synch- I love that. It's so so synchronistic. synchronistic. So yesterday when Ruby and I ran into each other <laughs> on the bridge. Right. So cool. Yes. That was such a cool New York moment. Exactly. And it's funny, like, I've always been very aware of those moments, like, throughout my entire life. And I've had, yeah, I've always been very aware on a very personal level of the signs. Yeah. And, yeah, now I know why. I want to talk a little bit about New York and Mm. what the city of, what the energy of the city means to you and what why New York, what's maybe your favorite New York moment, favorite part of living here. Um, I, I remember reading once, um, that New York is actually on a giant, like, quartz crystal. Mm. Like, it's the, the rock underneath New York is, like, giant quartz crystal situation. I need to do some more research on that. But it would explain why this is the city that never sleeps, because it's just, like, so supercharged with energy. Cool. (laughs) Um, and I definitely have had that experience here. Yeah. Well, first moving here was very actually disorientating and quite frightening. Um, How frightening so? in the sense that, like, I'd had a full-time job forever. It was freelance for the first time ever. Yeah. Everything in the city is so That's ridiculously a lot. That's expensive. That's jarring just to come. Just to, yeah. Like, yeah. And I'd gone from having a very high-profile career in the UK to coming here and, like, being back at the bottom of yeah. the, no one replying to my emails, like, just thinking, oh, my God, I've got to start again from the beginning. What? Yeah. Um, every, I remember going to, like, I'd go to, like, D'Agostino's, which is one of our supermarkets here, and every time I went in, even if I was just literally buying some bread and some tomatoes, I'd spend $50, and I'm, like, ah, freaking out about that. That's yeah. a scary experience. Yeah. Especially when you don't have a regular yeah. income. I mean, you must have experienced the same, yeah. I'm sure. Um, so it was kind of scary in that sense. And then looking back, I just think that, you know, London's my hometown. Kind of like older friends here, no family here, no job. It was just, it was very disorientating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I dove even heavily, more heavily into alcohol again, because it's also a real party town, and that's how yeah. you meet people. And again, that's how it all felt much more like sex in the city yeah. than it really was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it took me actually about 
a year before I actually started, like got the website up, started putting stuff on it. But it was very much, I definitely saw it at the time as like, well, I'm having to leave this job now, so I'm going to have to make the new minutes. But it still took a while yeah, to actually get working on it. Um, but my overall experience in general, I just this summer in particular, and I think it's because, you know, as I, as I said when we sat down, this has been the past three years, which has been building the numinous, writing the book, having the book come out, also starting Moon Club, also starting Club Soda, which I yeah. can tell you about, um, has been just relentless and very, very difficult. And this summer is the first summer in a while that I've had time to just kind of appreciate being alive. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and I've really just found myself walking around the city, like, so grateful that I get to live here. Yeah. I love New York so, 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 so oh, much. Good. Not least because alongside all of this, I have had the most incredible journey of just self-discovery and my self-confidence has been boosted immeasurably as a result of everything I've experienced Mm. and I've really found a way to like find my true self-expression and to really put my own work out into the world and to have it be received well and like just to really feel I just I felt so welcomed ever since I arrived here actually that's great so yeah and it's funny you should mention it as well because I actually um I'm doing some more in-depth astrology mentoring now and I did a session this morning and we looked at my birth chart and then apparently, and I didn't even know this, you can do your birth chart for any, like, how you operate in any city or location in oh. the world. And because of the time differences, wow. it will kind of, like, shift some of the planets around into different parts of your chart. And actually it shows in London, my mood, like, lots of, there was lots of oppression around some very key kind of, like, planets in my chart. Whereas here, those very same planets are like almost put in the spotlight wow. and given this kind of like, it's been be really very, interesting. Very interested to know if it's like that for me too. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it really so, so like you can see because I felt such a different energy here. I felt like I expressed myself. I felt like a different person, but I like my true way. self. Yeah, yeah, I feel that way. Just from where I grew up in the Midwest mm. and lived there until two months ago right when I met Mm. you and I feel that same way here but it's not planetarily as different as London to New York but I wonder if it could still have an effect yes it could definitely still have an effect yeah but um yeah I just I think that this this city this town you may have been experiencing the same thing I have found it to be I've found people to be extremely open in every sense like, it's definitely a town where you will be walking down the street and someone's literally walking down, walking along next to you, shouting at the top of their voice yeah. down their phone, like, and you're just like, oh my God, you're crazy. Yeah. But it's also and then kind of a town it's where... me crying right. down the street, so it's fine. Like, but I've just found people to be very open-minded, very accepting, very friendly. And yeah. yeah, like, I found a real kind of self-expression here that I never yeah. was able and to have. it sounds have like you have such a great community here. I do think that coming here, starting a project like The Numinous here, obviously I dove into it with all of my kind of journalistic sensibilities and, like, with very much from that kind of method- methodology. And so it meant I introduced myself to everyone in the scene and I've been to all the workshops and I've just very quickly built a very kind of yeah. like tight close aligned community for myself here it's amazing which I think is yeah the, and, and start coming here and starting the newness has been great because this city I really think 
people often think of LA as the hub for everything kind of like new mm. age but I actually feel like even more so in New York people are really using these spiritual tools like it's not yeah. really a, it's less of a lifestyle here maybe but people are actually really doing the work yeah because they actually really need it yeah because <laughs> it yeah. is such a difficult town to like yeah. survive in in a material sense yeah what I love and I think this is such a great point to talk about this one of the things I love about your work and your book in the numinous is I wrote this down on a post-it mm. and added it to my notes but I'm glad it's on a post-it because I want to keep it somewhere where I can see it because <laughs> it just like hit me hard mm. but what you said about shifting your focus so shifting mm. focus from how my work can get me what I want to how my work can give the world something it needs mm. and that just mm. struck me so much because I think we live in a time and what's happening in the world right now everywhere but especially here in our country mm. and it just like hits me so strongly that these tools are all well and good and they're amazing and self-care I like it as much as the next guy astrology's <laughs> fun we get it yes but really it's a tool to align yourself and unhook some of those hooks uh-huh. from people like the Capricorn and all this uh-huh. Velcro we've picked up so then you can actually express yourself and do the work that we need to do to be able to be in connection with people so can you talk about that which 100%. is really the point of all of your work and yes. what I found yes so that I I'm not sure how far you've got through. There's a chapter on Dharma, which is an ancient kind of spiritual philosophy about how when we align with our soul purpose, the work that we do in the world will automatically in some way be of service. And when I use the word service, when I use the word service in this context, I think it means when we're actually being 100% fully authentically in alignment with what we're here to do, the way we show up in the world is in some way going to be contributing to the greater good and the greater wellness, that the holistic greater wellness of our society, yeah. not just of our individual selves. Yeah. And so, yeah, for me, that chapter is the chapter that the most people have really felt has impacted them. I've got the most comments of people going, wow, this has really made me consider how I'm living my life and why. And I think the reason it's so impactful is because, yeah, like you say, there's all these amazing tools, astrology, tarot, crystals, whatever. The, what's the point of doing that? Even wellness. Like, what's the point of getting so physically fit and well and clear and focused and strong? Yeah. If you're not then going to use this physical vessel to do something, excuse me, Frank, my French, but fucking valuable in yeah. the world, like to the world. Yeah. What's the point of getting super confident and getting rid of all your demons if you're not then going to use your voice to contribute something useful to the conversation you know it's like that's what it's all really about yeah yeah you talk about spiritual activism mm, that's that basically yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. That. Yeah. yeah it's like I think the spiritual activism thing I really started talking about post-election last year when it was really like okay the final veil has been whipped away now it's all here and it's full disgustingness we can totally see the demon we're looking it in the face so what are we going to do about it and obviously particularly in the months following the election and it's sort of died off in its intensity but there were you know people were taking to the streets and but alongside that like but how is this ever good is this going to change anything is there any point to protesting this stuff like 
it felt like it was such an insurmountable task yeah. to try and make any kind of like meaningful shift in the conversation. Like it felt like the the powers that be, it's all so tight. Like the system is just so ironclad. Like how can how can we make a difference? How can I make a difference? And that's the conversation I kept having with people and hearing from people. Like what can I do? How can I help? I don't know where to start. And I think spiritual the idea of spiritual activism came from. Well, start with really, really cleaning all of the crap, all of the bullshit out of your life, getting rid of all of those stories and actually showing up in whatever you're doing, whether you're working in the same office job that you hate, whether you're, you know, whatever it is you're doing with your life, showing up in a way that's like in full integrity, inspiring the next person, inspiring the person sitting next to you on the subway to be that too because in my mind the way I see it the only way we can affect mass mass change is literally one person at a time it Mm -hmm. has to happen one person at a time and how do you do that just by me and you having this conversation or me and my dad having that conversation it's like your uber driver yes 100% and on that tip had an amazing long conversation with um, a Lyft driver who was kind of I just in passing mentioned I was coming back from Wanderlust, oh. coming back from Albany, I flew back from Albany in the lift and I was just tired and they like to chat sometimes, yeah. I don't always want to chat, but he was kind of like, so what have you been doing? And I was like, okay, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> so I told him about Wanderlust and how I'd been there reading for my book and stuff and he was just like, I'm really interested in yoga, what can I do about that? And so I turned him on to yogaglow.com and he was like, oh, and someone else was in my cab the other day and they were talking about this Kundalini, he's like, Kundalini, I was like, you should try this and try that and I wrote loads of stuff down for him and I I got out of that journey thinking, that is spiritual activism, if I can inspire this one person to bring these tools into his life, to to feel like he's got something... to have some practice in his life that makes him feel like he's worthy of bringing something of value into yeah. the world too. Like, if we can all be doing that all the time on a daily basis, the world can't not become a better place. Exactly. You, know? you so easily could have tapped out of that conversation. Yeah, and just looked back on Instagram and yeah. gone, oh, I'm tired. No. Yeah. Yeah. But no, my duty is not that. My duty is to keep spreading the light. Yes. To keep yes. being the light worker. Spiritual As activism. Know, spiritual activism. Because then what happens, okay, if we look at the larger political problems, for example, many of which are tied to capitalism, many of which are tied to mass, produce, mass, ag- mass animal agriculture, many of which are tied to, you know, all the environmental issues that are caused by overproduction of stuff for us to buy, etc, etc. So if if even on a small, small level, our conversations and our practices are encouraging people to change their spending habits, that's going to have an impact. It's going to have an impact. And I don't think we can ever undervalue how much of an impact that we as consumers have. And I, I mean, my consumer habits have changed, like... Like it's night and day with our dollar, (laughs) literally. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You had a great article on the Numinous recently about wellness and healthcare. Mm. Can you talk Mm. like top line a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. It was inspired by on my Apple News feed. There was this one story that was about how the opioid epidemic in America has become. Well, I mean, it was in the news this week. There's you know pressure being put on hit that man to declare it a national crisis. 
Um, and then underneath it was some scathing piece from New York magazine about like the wellness industry and how ridiculous it is. Right. And I was just like, <clears throat> okay, guys, <laughs> we are not living in a well society. Like traditional healthcare, because it was the same week as well that there was all of the healthcare stuff in the yeah. news. Like, um, it was kind of like, okay, so whatever we're calling healthcare. Like is massively underserving right. the majority of the population, and at the same time, we're spending all this kind of like energy being scathing about Gwyneth Paltrow for telling people to like drink more green juice or whatever mm-hmm. it is. You know, it's like, can we just like, <laughs> can we just like take a minute to go? Okay, the, the, this country is really unwell, right. and maybe it would actually be quite valuable to make to look at some what some of this ridiculous wellness industry yeah. is preaching or introducing or make it more accessible and to and find and spend all of that energy on working out how to bridge the gap between these two worlds and that's what I love about Jess Jess Mernan, you know it's yeah. like her one part plant brilliant I think it's yeah. genius yes one one vegetable based meal a day one yeah. plant based meal a day is going to change some someone's life yeah. it really is yeah so, yeah, I just think there's a huge missing piece in that conversation. Yeah, and a huge disconnect. A huge disconnect. Which is so sad. Which, again, comes from that place of judgment, which comes from a place of fear, which is obviously, you know, topics that Gabby talks about yeah. so much. But, like, I think a lot of the um, criticism of the wellness industry is coming from a, judge- a fear-based judgment of something that people don't, because people don't yeah. understand it, they feel like they're not included in the conversation. And I think part of that is a economic issue you yes. know I think it's a class it, it's Definitely. becoming a new class system which is really sad yes. if there was some sort of government interaction to actually make it accessible yes. then that wouldn't be an issue anymore exactly exactly yeah if people I mean if you think about how much people have to spend on healthcare or just like traditional health yeah. medical healthcare right the amount of money that that costs like, as a freelancer, I'm fortunate in that I get healthcare through my husband's provider, but I probably have to be spending $1,200 a month to have basic coverage as yeah. a freelancer. Um, yeah, how much How much of this wellness stuff could I buy right. for $1,200 a month? Like, right. all of it. Right. I could be having weekly acupuncture. Or and imagine if it was included <laughs> into what you're paying. Yes. Some of it. Yes, exactly. So it I think there's Canada. huge amounts of work to be done there. There are some amazing people who are having those conversations. But again, it's... I'm, again, it's that spiritual activism piece coming back down to if I can help one person or two people, yeah. great, yeah. great, and I'll keep doing that. And I think that a lot of the times looking at these huge or seemingly insurmountable problems or challenges can actually put yeah. us off from even starting when what, yes. the best thing we can all do is just like start and do the next right thing just like writing a book one chapter at a time or if you look at it from the whole thing it's too much exactly yeah yeah okay I want to ask you the questions I ask everyone I usually start with this one to kind of get the ball rolling but we didn't need it because we got right into your story and and Mm -hmm. rolled so what have you been realizing lately or contemplating or pondering very recently like today or the past week or month what's been on your mind um, but I quite like to be an American citizen. <laughs> That's so exciting. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, I think, I mean, I mentioned to you that, um, I guess I've had some realizations as I've been coming more into my fullness, more into my power, more into my kind of like authentic self. 
since the publication of my book, yeah. mainly, and the acceptance of my story and being out in the world, has been very empowering for me. And I think I've really been able to look back at how a lot of the time in the UK, where maybe there aren't such open-minded attitudes towards these more progressive conversations and ideas, I did feel quite repressed. Mm-hmm. I think I felt quite repressed. And I'm, like I said as well, I've been really feeling just so in love with New York. And I think the mm-hmm. reason I love this city and by extension this country so much is that you know for good or bad it feels like the land of opportunity to me and I feel like there is a real opportunity to be to feel free here yeah and so I've been contemplating whether or not I'd like to become an American citizen oh that's so exciting I hope you do (laughs) thanks (laughs) okay this is another thing I'm, I'm always curious in people how do you handle stress or overwhelm as an entrepreneur as just a person in the world I think you also do TM, mm-hmm. are you in therapy? Mm-hmm. What, what are your strategies? I do practice TM, and that's been a fantastic tool. Just a really fantastic I saw tool. Bob on your Bob Ross back of your is book. amazing. Yeah. Do you know him? He did the podcast oh. and he gifted me oh. meditation. Wow. Yeah, two years ago, I think I was. He's incredible. And yeah, and yeah. I, I did the training and I've been doing it ever since, yeah. and it's amazing it's amazing yeah so exactly and why meditation why I think it's good for stress is it means I can see stress coming rather than just Mm. it suddenly being there like an all out consuming I'm kind of like I can see it coming and so I'm like okay I've got some time I've got a minute to like deal and like so one of the first things I'll do is literally clear my diary Mm. like just cancel arrangement like just cancel meetings, yeah. just give myself some space, space. some alone time, some That's processing great. time, just some quiet time. That's a really good tool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's one thing I'll do. Um, another is definitely talk to someone about I don't have a therapist. My mum, like I said, my mum is a psychotherapist. Mm. And I think in a way that sort of like put me off therapy because particularly as a younger woman I would actually find it very intrusive that she kind of wanted to talk everything out yeah like no (laughs) yeah and I have been to a couple of therapists over the years and again I think it's very much a chemistry thing like I haven't ever met the right person yeah and that sort of put me off like trying endlessly different people very much a chemistry however I'm fortunate that I have some friends who I can really like get straight into the deep, dark, nitty gritty with, like on a text almost. Can we talk about this? Oh, this happened. Yeah, that's so. You know, so I will definitely, I've got much better at actually reaching out and just being like, can we just talk about this for five minutes? I just need, because oftentimes it is. It's amazing to me. And again, meditation is a great tool for realizing this, how. I mean, it's such a, such an old adage in a way, you know, a problem shared is a problem halved, but how quickly mm. something can become this huge, yes. all-consuming, yeah. anxiety-inducing problem yeah. when once you, if you just speak about it or just kind of like talk about it at the beginning, yeah. it doesn't have a chance to ever it get dissipates. there. It dissipates. It's amazing. Yeah. And that's what's the beauty of, of talk therapy. That's such a great old saying I've yeah. never heard that but it reminds oh, me right. Brene Brown has this thing that she says shame can't exist when it's shared yeah it's very similar it's very similar a yeah. problem shared is a problem halved love it right yes. <laughs> so yeah phone a f- clear the diary phone a friend 
meditation. And it's not meditation. It's not like meditation in the moment of anxiety stops me feeling anxious. No. It's more yeah. like it's given me a, a tool long term. Yeah. It's more of a to resting, be able to exactly. But actually, yeah. I find if I'm really anxious, I can't really meditate. Like Same. I can't really because you're into just a deep meditation. Yeah, yeah, I find that too. So yeah. working out, and that's the other thing I did at the weekend. Um, last weekend, I woke up feeling kind of like meh for some reason. So I just went and worked out outside. Working out in the outdoors actually really yeah. elevates my cool. mood. If I'm just feeling a bit sad or depressed, yeah. an outdoor workout for some reason like really make really boosts yeah. my endorphins. But it has to be outdoors. Cool, like which in is the, interesting. Um, park, like, like in the park, yeah. Running or what do you? Yeah, so McCarran Park near where I live has mm-hmm. a running track, um, and they and they have kind of like breakout boxes, which have still got the nice spongy floor. Yeah. <laughs> and I do I do a workout called Tabata. Have you ever heard of Tabata? Kind of, yeah. It's like a they're hit like workout. they're like hit drills, yeah. but I kind of like have my own ones that I do, and I just kind of mix them all up. Cool. And that's the cardio I, I do. Can I come with you? That's the cardio I do, and it's actually an amazing workout, and you can have a really full-on sweaty, like, full-on panting cardio workout in, like, 20, 25 minutes. I want to come to the park with you and do the workout. It's really fun. It's really fun to do it. You should definitely come with me. Okay. Recently, this woman was running around. I could see see her watching me, and she came over at one point. She's like, what is that workout you're doing? It looks great. I love that. I I I kind of made it up. That's amazing. So well, yeah, some cardio together. outside. It's like there's something about that combination, this alchemy, yeah. that's just a real amazing mood enhancer yeah. for me. That's very cool. And I think maybe it's something to do with I think working out in gyms. I spoke to um, Ariana Huffington's sister, Agape, um, is like a meditation coach, and she was at this breakfast I went to recently, and we ended up chatting about this because. My husband now works for a gym, a very well-known gym company. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, and she was like, yeah, I can't go to gyms. She's like, I can't work out in gyms. There's just this collective kind of like misery. And I really was like, actually, yeah. yeah. Like a lot of the, that kind of like gym energy, it's so like combative and so aggressive a lot of the time. And it's like yeah. you versus your body in a way. And it's almost like we're here, let's get this over and like, yeah. get done with it. Exactly. More so in some spaces than others. And I think the thing for me about working out outside, I think as an empath, gyms maybe like yeah. that oppresses or suppresses the kind of that like endorphin sense. heat high and release. Whereas if I'm yeah. outside amongst my friends, the trees, yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of like amplified, you know. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Okay, I'd love to hear you speak on feminism. It's something I always love to ask people and how you define your feminism and how you act your feminism today. Um, I think defining feminism... For me, feminism is really about um, elevating the feminine principle in all of us, men and women. And when I say... I mean, it's back to that moon sign astrology piece. It's back to my you know, the numinous, the emotional side of our lives. So for me, feminism is about amplifying that in all of us and and also in all of our endeavours, in business, in family, in schools, in homes, in gyms, everywhere. (laughs) Like if we can bring more of the feminine principle in, meaning the emotional, the intuitive, the empathic, the collaborative, you know, that for me is my feminist mission. Yeah. Yes, of course, I know that women around the world are suppressed also and that there is a lot of work to be done still in kind of 
actual the kind of like material equality between men and women. Um, but for me, I think that a lot of that will actually come from just empowering women to be able to feel like we can be women in the world and be respected yeah. for our feminine qualities as much as our masculine yeah. qualities. I don't want to be a woman in business, particularly operating still in a very masculine paradigm. I want to be a woman, a feminine woman, killing it at business. Yeah. And that, for me, is my expression of yes. the feminism, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And there's a great chapter in your book about the divine feminine. Mm-hmm. And anyway, mm. everyone should just read that chapter because <laughs> it's great. Thank you. We talk, touched on this a little bit when we talked about your eating disorder, but mm. I always talk about body image on this mm-hmm. podcast mm. because I think it's something we all deal with. And mm. I want to know, you know, now have you do you ever struggle with body image and what I call a bad body image day or a moment where you're feeling not great about your physical body how do you shift out of that do you have any like tools and tactics to get you out of that and get you back into feeling okay being a person in the world well it's interesting as I've got older um, my body image issues have much more focused around like aging and my how I look like how I look at my face I'm like my I've never been happier with my physical body and shape like I feel great I I don't actually know what I weigh I I haven't known for a long time like that's just like yeah that's just it's become a non-issue which is amazing yeah but like facially I'm like and I think it's because we live in such a hyper visual world now yeah you know every time an editor or publicist or someone is like you really should do more selfies I'm like really no (laughs) I really shouldn't. Well, not. first of all, you're beautiful. <laughs> Thank this is a you. podcast, and I feel like I just need to like my <laughs> ego you. needs to just like tell the world like body and face and all of it. Like Thank she's you. gorgeous. I've well, been staring thing. at her for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess um, so, but I do. You know, I have though. I have days where I'm just like, oh my god, it's all just so saggy. But this is, I mean. I, of, I, we, I see of that of course yeah. I know everyone else doesn't of course I know everyone yeah. else doesn't see that intellectually sure but like it just yeah that's but that's where the, that's where it shows up for me, for me now and I think um, again it almost comes back to this spiritual activism piece of like it's not about how I look it's about how I make people feel mm. you know and just really kind of coming back to that message and yeah. like just getting out of my own way a bit yeah. and like getting back into the message and the mission of what I'm really here yeah. and all about yeah um having said that I also taught myself how to do smoky eyes on YouTube recently which has really helped on the selfies front because it <laughs> looks much better to have like eyes cool <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I'm not averse to using my kind of like material girl tools yeah to kind of like make yourself yeah to make myself feel on a day when I'm not you know yeah. Um, but I don't know, it's interesting, it's a, it's a funny conversation f- for me to have in a way, because obviously it has been such an issue in yeah. my past, and I guess I'm just like supremely grateful that it's not really an issue in the same way that it, that it used to be, I just don't have those days, I'm much more self-loving, I'm much more self-forgiving, okay. and I can only really bring that down to the fact that I now have all these amazing tools yeah. for self-awareness. Whereas before, yeah, it was very much it was much easier for me to criticize what I could yeah. see about myself on the outside. Yeah. And I think I've really yeah, my my the way I relate to myself is much is much more connected, is is as equally connected to who I am on the inside as who I am on the outside now. 
Mm, I love <sighs> that. Okay, so before I ask you the final question, this is the quick fire round. Okay. So just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. I will warn you, they start off easier and they get a little bit more challenging. So okay. Just, I like to warm you up first. Yeah. Favorite color? Pink. Favorite day of the week? Friday. Favorite hour of the day? 7 a.m. Favorite food? Pizza. What's one thing you wish more people knew about you? That I'm really shy. Really? Mm. I wouldn't have known that. Okay, what are your, this is my favorite question, what are your morning routines? What are like the first three things when you, you do when you wake up in the morning and how does that affect how the rest of your day goes? My cat's been waking me up at 5.30. He's got into a routine of waking me up at 5.30 for food. So I feed him and then I go back to bed. But anyway, we'll start with... <laughs> so first of all, um, 20 minutes of TM while sitting up in bed, like as soon as my alarm goes okay. off. Okay, because I don't do that. I do mine a little bit later. I but... do it straight away. Then make hot water and lemon for myself and the Pisces, which we have with probiotics, a vitamin B complex, and a vitamin D. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) Then make our extra special super duper oatmeal. Ooh, what's in that? Which is, I was just saying to to the Pisces this morning, I was like, you, the, the amount that this process that oatmeal. <laughs> but it starts, so you go harvest the unicorn magical flakes. So it's <laughs> oats, it has chia seeds. Currently, it has chia seeds, maca, heishuwu, hoshuwu. Yeah. Adaptogenic herb. <laughs> yes. Um, which actually I started taking because my hair started getting really thin. Oh, it's good for that, From the yeah. stress of the book, I think. It's also very good for your skin. Right, yeah. So I started yeah. taking it, um, and tocos. Yeah. I stir some tocos in the end. But anyway, it's those. Right, and and then e what's the other the one? What's the other one that's going in? Oh, I got sent this bunch of things from Moon Deli, which oh. is a new brand, a bit like Moon Juice. Huh. <laughs> and they're doing, like, adapted gen kind of, like, powder blends. Cool. But they're, they're really, t- they're kind of tastier than Anyway, there's one which has got like ashwagandha. It's a kind of Ooh. like calming adaptogen okay, brand. I'm gonna give this so a, a bunch of like afterwards. potions and powders in with the oats, nice. and they kind of soak with some homemade hemp milk. Amazing. Which I then top up with a bit of filtered water, so, and some banana mashed up. I kind yeah. of mash the banana up in it, I and then I heat it. Then I heat it. Then I heat it. And then it has some cinnamon and some walnuts on top. Oh, lovely. I mean, it's the most delicious oatmeal you've Damn. ever tasted. I might just stay here and, like, be here in the morning. <laughs> so that's my routine. It's the, t- the TM, and then it's the lemon water, and then it's the oatmeal, and then it's, like, a pot of green tea and straight onto my computer, and that's when I write. And if I'm not writing, creating something writing, I'm editing whatever post is going on the site, and I'm on my computer from, like... 7.30 till about 9.30 before I start thinking about emails or any social media or anything yeah. like that. So and then you'll kind of get into that. And then I kind of get into that. And, and that's, then you yeah. kind of, that's kind of your work day starts, maybe take yeah. a break. Yeah. And then my next question is, what about in the evening? How do you shut down and relax? And what are the last three things you do before bed? Um, well, the Pisces and I like to do some yoga on Yoga Glow. Uh, that's that for me has become. Like, it used to be a glass of wine, but now it's kind of like a thirty-minute yoga or twenty-minute oh, yoga so session, nice. just to kind of de- to demarcate like working day has ended. Yeah, evening has started. Cool. Um, but right before, I mean, I go to bed really early. We do. If I do, I have a routine before I go to bed. I guess it's kind of like 
you know, proper cleansing of the face, like removal of the day from the face kind of thing. Um, and I like to go to bed with at least like half an hour or so to read. I like to read novels. I don't really read any kind of like self-help or self-improvement books. Mm-hmm. Like people are always going, have you read it? I'm like, no. Yeah. I haven't read any. I mean, I've read some of the, the classics, like the, yeah. you know, the Gabby's and the Brene's and the yeah. stuff. But I really love reading novels. That's kind of like my favorite yeah. way to just kind of like escape and switch off at the end of the day and put my brain into a different zone you know I was when I was writing a book I got really good at not looking at any emails or social media after a certain point in the evening it's kind of crept in a bit but I try not to do any of that after 9 p.m that's great yeah just to create that kind of hour hour and a half or so of just like not being connected to all of that stuff yeah that's great Mm. what is your greatest lesson on family remember that they are their own individuals um how can I better phrase that um remember it's not all about you (laughs) that everyone's got their own stuff going on yeah greatest lesson on romantic relationships be really honest with yourself and the other person Greatest lesson on spirituality slash God, the universe, what happens when we die? Um, yeah, you're right. They do get more complex. <laughs> right? That's like <laughs> the most complex. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> okay, so I think we are all innately spiritual beings. I think our spirituality is our birthright. I have no idea what happens when we die and I don't need to know. It's not, it's not my job to know. Yeah. Cool. What, how are you challenging yourself? What is something you're doing that you're afraid of, but you're pushing yourself to do anyway? Like, just literally, just look at what everything, like literally everything I've just done for the past five years. But the big one for me has been public speaking and hosting and presenting and coming out from behind my laptop and actually speaking my stories and speaking my lessons rather than writing it down yeah so that has been the biggest challenge for me in the past couple of years I think okay this is just a way for really for you to recommend things in in these Mm. categories before I ask you the Mm -hmm. the final question so pretend you're on a deserted island and you Mm. can bring with you one book one movie (gasps) one tv show and one food that you wouldn't get sick of what would you bring so hard (laughs) okay oh god and it can be something you've loved forever just something recently that popped into your mind that you want to recommend that you think people should know about it's really just a way for you to recommend things okay so book um apart from my book definitely get Ruby's (laughs) book book. (laughs) I think I would bring it to an island book well the thing the book that's coming to my mind weirdly is called A Secret History and it's by Donna Tartt She's an incredible writer. It's just an amazing story. It's like... A novel? It's a novel. And I think, like, as legend has it, it took, like, ten years to write it. So it's a big novel, but it's super readable, and it's just an amazing story. I haven't read it for years, and I'd love to read it again. So The Secret History. Why not? (laughs) Yeah. For a book. Um, For a TV show... (laughs) I don't know Mm -hmm. if I can... I don't know if I can choose. No, that's one. okay. You can recommend a couple. Okay, so a few. Love. I would. I'd. I'd love to bring with me um, the affair, 
if they could keep writing it well. Like, if it could be, all be as good as series one, mm-hmm. and there could just be endless series of the affair, I might bring that. <laughs> I haven't watched that one. Oh, oh, I should. You must watch, watch that. Okay. Yeah. So okay, I'll bring the affair. Cool. God, this is this is anything quite, else you want to recommend God. with TV? Yeah. So though? okay, so I'd also bring I'd also bring the Great British Baking Show. Oh, I hear that's really good too. Jess turned me on to that too. Yeah. This really is the Jessica Manane. Yeah, I know. Manansha show, but no, the you Great British because it because it's very like the character. It's like a, a competitive baking yeah. show, and it's just so like the people they choose are so cool. Like, the characters who are the bakers are really. It's just really friendly and. Fun. lovely and although hold on if I'm dev- on a desert island and all I can eat is one food it would be very very annoying because it's like a total carb porn fest it just makes you want to eat cake yeah. but it's great <laughs> so I think I'd bring the Great British Baking Show The Affair and then maybe I'd bring Sex in the City because there's yeah. a lot of it Reminded of home it, you know it's kind of like it's, it's that's f- become my favourite part is being here and watching it that's what I meant to say earlier. Not only, I think, seeing places like, I've been there, that's right by Union Square, and I know that building, or like, I know that's uptown, and that's downtown, and I'm like, getting it, it's, that's why I've been liking watching it since I've been yeah. here. Yeah, I think it would be like, yeah, so I, I think, so I'll bring those three TV shows. Yeah. <laughs> Secret and history. Movie. movie. Something that would make me cry. Um... <laughs> It's funny, like I don't really have these kind of like I, I never. It's as a kid, like I never had like a pop star I was really into. Like I don't attach to things for very long. Like I'm really into something, and then I'll be into the next thing. Well, I'm not opposite. Few movies that I'm I very really like loved. Hold on to things. Maybe I'd bring. I don't. I'm, who knows why this is coming to mind? But I might bring like Romeo and Juliet, the Baz Luhrmann Romeo, oh, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, because it's so beautiful and rich and like entertaining. And you interviewed Claire Danes. And I interviewed Claire Danes, although she wasn't very nice to me. Really, she was very mean actually. Oh, yeah. Exclusive. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting you say that because I was also thinking about how much I loved Homeland, and potentially that could be a TV show. Yeah. She's in that too. Yeah. Anyway, so I might bring that. But I'd also want something just like, I'm trying to think if there's a really amazing kind of like female bonding buddy movie that's like really teary as well. Hmm. We'll probably think Maybe I'd bring like When Harry Met Sally. Oh, that's the best. Classic. Maybe I'd bring that. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay, so choice. those. And then I didn't ask this, but what about music? Anything you want to recommend oh. with music or that you I like? I would bring or? like an unlimited supply of my brother... John's DJ mixes cool. and productions because he's amazing. It's Jay Shepherd, if anyone wants to look him we'll up. We'll put in the show notes. Yeah. Okay, so before I ask you the final question, this is just something I forgot to ask you about. Talk to us about Club Soda. So, Club Soda um, is an event series for the sober curious, and it's based on my own journey from kind of like reframing my relationship with alcohol and I'm not in addic- I'm not in AA I'm not in addiction recovery and yet getting alcohol out of my life has definitely been a process and a journey and it's an ongoing one um though I'm kind of like walking my own path with it cool. um and as part of that path I started this event series to really be a space to have very kind of like open stigma free conversations about alcohol why we drink why we don't want to drink why we do want to drink like yeah what we think alcohol is like why everyone seems to drink so much and like why no one ever talks about the fact that it makes most of us feel really crappy right. when we do <laughs> yeah 
So club, that's what club soda is. Um, so soda stands for sober or debating abstinence cool. in that instance. Yeah. And so I've been running that for like the past year and a half with a meditation coach called Biet Simkin, who comes um, and leads meditations. And we just did our first soda dance party, which was really, really fun, fun last weekend. So fun. So that's club soda. Yeah. Um, I think maybe you told me this at Wanderlust or I heard this that spirits are called spirits because did you tell me this was I talking to you about it must have been because I don't know who else would have told yeah. me but it's that will you explain it yes yeah, so I I don't know how this came up so but I, I wrote a piece up. for the numinous and it was called on spirits and spirituality and ever since then I've been thinking I've really been fascinated with like why spirits as in like liquor, liquor. yeah is called spirits and it what I've boiled it down to and the way I explain it is like a lot of the time we're using spirits to experience the feelings and experiences that we that live within our spirit. Yeah. So we might be using it to feel connection to other people, we might be using it to feel relaxed, we might be using it for inspiration, we might be using it to feel joyful. All the things that we look for in spirits. Yeah. Are the things that we get from being connected to our spirit. Yeah. And, and yet think... when we imbibe spirits, and I mean, this is, it becomes almost mystical, <laughs> but like when, by imbibing spirits, in my experience, we actually suppress our connection to our spirit. It's almost like our spirit goes, oh, oh, okay, I'll just mm. hide over here then because you're, you'd prefer to like get, use that spirit. Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm like not as powerful and yeah. fast working as that spirit. So wow. I'll just like sit over here and get suppressed and repressed in a way. Because yeah, to have a genuine connection to your spirit and to feel alive and inspired and creative and connected and to have all those things from a connection to your spirit takes work and it takes practice. Yeah. <laughs> and it takes resilience and it takes faith and it takes all of those difficult things that are not we live in a culture, and you know, my term now age speaks to this. We live in a culture of such instant gratification that our reliance on spirits, as in liquor, yeah. to get all of those things is just rampant. And actually, the time and the patience and the practice it takes to connect to our spirit feels daunting and difficult yeah. and unappealing a lot of the time. Yeah, wow, fascinating. <sighs> okay, so first of all, thank you so much for doing this and spending so much time, and everyone must check out your book and the numinous and club soda and everything you do because you're wonderful and I'm so Thank happy to you. be your friend Aww. but the final question that yeah. you have this show and this podcast is called let it out mm-hmm. so when I offer that term to you to let it out what does that mean to you and do you feel like there's anything that you wished I would have asked you did I ring you dry anything <laughs> that you really want to talk about that you didn't get to we have spoken about so much um, tangential journey <laughs> let it out I mean, I think to me, again, it just, it, we've, we've touched on it a couple of times, but it's just that thing of like, the thing you're not, the thing you, the thing you don't think you can say is probably the exact thing you need to say. And it's scary. It's amazing to me how frightening it can be to let it out sometimes, like paralyzing. I also run an event series called, not an event series, but a workshop that I'm going to be doing more called Story Medicine. And it's essentially just a sharing circle. And we invite people to come and like share a story from their life on a given topic. And it could be a story about anything. It could be funny, emotional, like tragic, 
hilarious, like whatever. It can be just a story from your life and experience. And invariably, people will be like, when they start to speak, my heart's pounding. Oh my God, I didn't realize I'd be so frightened. Yeah. And it's just like, it can be so scary to let out our truth, right. to speak our truth. And yet it's so healing and yes. so freeing to do it. Yeah. So yeah. Wow. I love that your podcast is called Let It Out. I think it's so important. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. All right. That was my conversation with Ruby Warrington of The Numinous and her new book, Material Girl, Mystical World, which I love. Please check it out. Thank you for listening. I loved that conversation so much. And before I tell you the emoji for this week's episode, I want to go back to last week's episode one more time. Isabel's program is something that really changed my life. And if you want to check it out, please watch the free video training series and also maybe consider the masterclass. Email me if you have any questions on it. It's something that I'm really passionate about and I think that everyone in the world would benefit from doing, honestly. So let me know if you have questions there. Whether you want to do the masterclass or not, this might be the time to do it because as she mentioned in the episode, it's the last time she's going to be offering it live. So you'll get her coaching with it. But, you know, just do the free video training series. Either way, it's free, it's quick, and you'll probably learn something that might really help you and you might want to share it with someone else. So check that out. Make sure you use the link in the show notes because that lets her know that I sent you. And I also want to thank FreshBooks again. FreshBooks is so great. They're the easy-to-use online cloud accounting software that really does it better than any other cloud accounting software ever out there. And I've used different ones. They are very user-friendly. You can customize your template for sending invoices. You'll look really responsible and on top of it when you send invoices to clients or people that you work with. If you're a freelancer, this is fantastic for you. If you are not a freelancer and you just want to stay on top of your finances, FreshBooks is a really simple to use platform to be able to do that. So go to freshbooks.com slash let it out and enter let it out in the how did you hear about us section. Again, the link to that is in the show notes. Thank you so much, FreshBooks. Thank you, Ruby. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you for listening. I love you guys. Share this episode with a friend if you found it beneficial or funny or if it made you feel less alone. Hey, so the emoji for this week's episode is the twinkle. And when I say the twinkle, it's those golden, beautiful stars. There's like three of them. And to me, it's just a twinkle. And that's what Ruby is. That's what the numinous is. If I had to put it into an emoji, I would say that one. So tweet at me the twinkle tweet at ruby the twinkle comment on our instagram the twinkle to let us know that you're still listening to me rambling right now and i'm gonna stop so i can go and do some other things but i love you guys and i'll talk to you next week really great episodes coming up by the way so stick around subscribe